0: This episode of the podcast is with Paul Rossler, the owner and operator of Kitten Robot Studios in L.A. His latest record, his third in line, is The Turning of the Bright World, marking his return from a couple years behind the soundboard since his album Match Girl in 2020, and an absolute triumphant return to songwriting. Uh, This one is cathartic. It comes from a... A place of stability, as he explains, um, and of just uh, awakening, you know, in many ways. An absolutely beautiful album. His earlier work with the likes of The Screamers, Neaton, Hagen Band, uh, 45 Grave, really solidified his place in the punk lexicon. Um, For those of you who know, uh, you'll love this absolute gem of of an interview. Uh, he now works with the likes of Josie Cotton, Haley and the Crushers from episode 63, and Crow Jane, uh, who is previously from Egrets on Irgat. But Yeah, keeping it short, here is Seem Like a Good Idea at the time from Paul Rossler's latest album, The Turning of the Bright World. Enjoy.
1: We thought they were good All these things became available So we figured that we should And a theoretical jaguar stalking in the wild It's not as urgent as my coffee All these things felt so decadent, they were so hard to quit, and they were so damn connected.
2: about privacy when they post everything they do yeah. on their, on their social media and on and their phone, then, um, you
0: know, it's weird because we, we do complain that there is no more privacy, but we're handing over our information every day.
2: Yeah. And people scream about people using data. And like, I think, um, I think that makes for a more efficiently functioning world in a lot of ways. I was thinking about mm-hmm. you coming over today mm-hmm. and I had, sent my email and I'd sent my phone number. I mean my address. Yeah. And I knew that you would not only you would find it, you would be on time to the minute. Yeah.
1: Right. Because
2: (laughs) the phone and I started thinking multiply that times millions of people Mm -hmm. think how much time and efficiency is created by that one
0: app. Yeah.
2: You know about I will not only will I get there, I will be there to the minute on time.
0: Mm-hmm. And it warns me of it. Warned me of two accidents on the way here. All that. Yeah, and it told me, and it adjusted the time.
2: And you know, so perfect. people, people that when I have a session booked at one, and then uh-huh. people show up a half an hour late, I know there is absolutely no excuse for that. <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah, that's gone. That's gone. Oh, now. people do it. That yeah. they don't.
2: They can say, you know, whatever they want, but you know, your phone tells you when you're going to be there. Yeah. So, uh, and you know, same with analyzing data. I just was reading an article about, um, the, uh, evolutionary tree Mm -hmm. and, um, through the 20th century up till the 20th century, they analyzed species by their, um, bone structure. And they assumed if, if, if something had similar physiology, Mm -hmm. then they were related. Uh And if now they're analyzing, um, species, the the evolutionary tree with DNA Mm -hmm. and they say, not at all. And that actually the same things evolved repeatedly mm-hmm. in different places because the, f- the physics of being able to fly, for instance, yeah. is the same everywhere. So wings and the ability to fly evolved 10 different times. It doesn't yeah. mean they're related. Uh-huh. So it turns out that human beings are closer related, more related to rodents. No way. Than to canines. Huh. You know, or what cats. You think, well, what are we closer to? Are we closer to cows, elephants, dogs, cats? What are primates closer to? Yeah, rodents. No. Based way. on DNA, isn't that cool?
0: I always heard that it was some kind of like amphibious, like oh well, if you go back, thing, if you yeah. go back far enough, but it's in, mm. terms mammals, oh, okay. Close, in terms of mammals. Okay. In terms of
2: mammals, yeah. But um, so like, so just data. So everybody's selling all their everybody, you hit accept cookies and every other data, and it's like then. You get advertisements that you might actually care about. Yeah. I know there's a downside. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there's a terrible downside. I mean. We'll bring
0: up Orwell just yet. (laughs)
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, you know, but um, but there's upside too.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's, I don't know. I'm, I I wouldn't say I'm like a technology apologist, but I, I don't, I get it. I think the reason we're
2: having so much trouble now is that old people are not adapted to technology, Mm -hmm. and yet they're still kind of making decisions and are in charge. Yeah. And that once the older people that didn't grow up with it die off, Mm -hmm. I think things are going to settle down. That's my hope anyway.
0: Yeah, because I don't think the Luddites are as influential as they might think they are. Well, they
2: are, though. And I don't mean Luddites. I don't mean people that, that are against technology. I mean people that just were not born with a phone in their hand. Yeah, yeah. They just didn't grow up with with the Internet. And so they're adapting to it. It's like when we first went from tape recording to digital recording. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a musician before. And when I switched over to being an engineer and producer, that was right at the time digital recording came. Mm-hmm. And right away I saw like, oh, there's so many that, you know, you may lose some stuff as far as sound quality. You may lose some things as far as being able to over edit or there, there's stuff that you might lose. Oh, but there's stuff you gain. Like, like when we were talking, I think before you switched to the machine, I can record mm-hmm. every single take. Yeah. I don't have to settle on one take. I just record them all. Yeah. And then I sit there afterwards. I went through, they go home and listen to all the takes. And I just right away s- saw the vision of what having digital, massive amounts of digital data, the possibilities, you know? Yeah. But um, I think, you know, old, old, I mean, I, I just believe that, you know, my grandkids, they are, will be thoroughly adapted. Mm-hmm. Whereas people my age are still sort of half
1: adapted. Yeah. Half adapted. <laughs> and
2: half adapted is chaos. Because you don't have your old way. Yeah. You're trying to embrace a new way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I, it's overwhelming. It's frustrating. You know, these old people, They, you know, me, even me. Mm. I mean, the simplest thing, like, like for my wife who's younger, like is like a real struggle, Mm -hmm. you know? So
0: like QR codes or things like that
2: for a great example. (laughs) Uh Yeah. Like, have you downloaded your uh, vaccination like uh, and like, not exactly, <laughs> or I probably did, but now I don't know where it is. You know, yeah, but yeah like you know. Someone, Especially
0: if it takes a, another app to access it or something. It's like, okay, what did I actually do now? Yeah,
2: yeah. and that, and it's interesting that for an old person that's not so um, completely assimilated, hasn't completely assimilated that uh, modality. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually anxiety provoking. It's actually yeah. depression. You feel very everything is hard. Mm. What's actually meant to make everything super easy.
1: Yeah. You
2: know, like my six year old grandchild can just bust it out. <laughs> you know, Yeah. I, I went over to my, my kids house and my, my six, my five year old grandson held up a f- fixed Rubik's cube, a finished no. Rubik's cube. I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like people I know would spend like months trying to do that shit, yeah. right? Well, he just downloaded a fucking app. Yeah. Now you still have to program in the state that the Rubik's cube is in. Yeah. And then you have to you have to correctly put it in there, and then you have to correctly follow the thirty steps. Mm-hmm. So you still have to do a, a little a little process to yeah. do it.
0: And a five year old did it.
2: Download, it's like <laughs> He's in. A, he has a Rubik's cube. He's like, how does this work? Yeah. Fucking went on the Internet and yeah. found the app.
0: I challenge any adult to figure that out as quickly. Yeah. Right. And
2: that's why I have a little hope. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's cause a otherwise, shit g- can be bleak. You yeah. know, if you if you follow, you know, the news. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you, you have a really good point with like, you got to be all in or all out. Right. It's
2: yeah. The transition is painful. Yeah. And it's I see stop. a lot. I look out. I'm looking out my window and waving my hand for the people. Look at my window, and waving my hand. I think there's a lot of chaotic transition going on, Mm -hmm. not necessarily like everybody says it's the end of the world. Oh, you know, um, ecologically, possibly. Uh, And, you know, the social pressures, population pressures um, could look like this as far as supply side issues and Mm -hmm. and stuff. It could look like this, but it could also be what I'm talking about. You know, if I want to be optimistic that, you know, people talk about um, global warming and, you know, there's actually several ways to reverse global warming without even the people don't realize this without changing, um, uh, our behaviors, which I think is abhorrent. But (laughs) for example, you can kind of terraform, you can put things into the atmosphere that alleviate it. Yeah. So there are, and you know, nobody will do it till it's an absolute catastrophe, but it is, there are possible, you know, things. So
0: Bill Gates working on something like that putting aluminum, some kind of solution into the atmosphere. Well, I don't know
2: that he's doing it, but that's, you know, yeah. There's a really interesting documentary on Bill Gates. uh, And I'm, you know, I don't really want to just. I don't want to just, you know, blindly defend billionaires. But (laughs) from what I understand of Bill Gates, he's pledged almost all of his money to philanthropy. He's gone to other billionaires and gotten them to also. Mm-hmm. Um, he's helping them at, I have friends that were working in Africa, and they said the, the Gates Foundation is the gold standard of philanthropy in Africa. And you don't, he doesn't get in any reward for that, really. It's like he's trying to wipe out malaria. He's giving out mosquito letting, he's netting. He's trying to um, alleviate uh, waste, mm-hmm. uh, uh, like sewage. Uh, nobody cares about Bill Gates invented a better toilet. You know, he's trying to get clean water to people. I mean, you know, he's really doing a lot of stuff and he catches a lot of shit, you know?
0: Yeah. It's you got to be pragmatic about it, right? It's like, okay, maybe he's got his evils and his, you know, he's got his demons somewhere, but I never really hear about him. Aside from like buying farmland I, I and I don't know what that's about. I don't but, know what
2: that's about, but it, yeah. you know, it may be that at a certain point, um, when the climate changes Mm -hmm. and people can't grow food, Bill Gates will go, you know, guys, I was buying this farmland just in case of this eventuality and I've got you. Mm -hmm. And we go, then the people will say, he wants to control the world's food supply. And I'm like, you know, you still get to go to the store and buy your fucking (laughs) broccoli. Just come on. Anyway, I, I, I could be wrong about this stuff. Um,
0: oh, I don't know. I just saw Jurassic Park, the new one. Yeah. And did you see it? Yes. Yeah. It, because you that know, that made uh, me think of Bill Gates too. So I was like, wait, is it, He's not going to do that, is he? He's, he seems like a nice guy. And like well, you said, he's you know he's helping people.
2: I mean, I I don't want to be naive, but he's also trying to work on um, clean energy solutions. He's mm. working on um, he's working on a nuclear power that runs off of nuclear waste. Mm. And we have huge piles of nuclear waste buried in caves in Nevada. Mm. And there's enough, and it's a problem, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's a fucking problem. Cause the, the, um, half-life of that shit's going to be poisonous for a million, you know, millions of years. Yeah. There's enough nuclear waste to power these nuclear plants f- to give America enough power for 250 years. Wow. So think about you know, and this is the kind of stuff you now is, is he gonna solve all these issues and that's like why I, I get so torn because I really i mean I have this like dread of capitalism and i i i i I hate the way there's this you know this uh the the difference in um the inequality in wealth it, it, this stuff is horrible, but when you see someone uh possibly taking that wealth and directly trying to attack problems and knowing that government is the only thing that stands between us and rapacious corporations. But government isn't always necessarily very efficient because they need to get reelected. Yeah. And if there's some guy that somehow through the luck of the draw and through his own you know, brilliance and or corruption is trying to solve these problems. It's a little like Iron Man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, fuck, it's what we got. It, it's what we got, you know? Yeah, so we hope for the
0: best. You know, I know
2: there's some woke people just like screaming at their, at their, <laughs> at their computer right now about what I'm saying. But, I mean, when I'm pool threshold that happens to me maybe once a year, mm. once a year, where I cross over to being a fan,
3: ah. a
2: fan mm. where I had this I just put this on myself like that happened to me with Phoebe Bridgers it really happened when she smashed her guitar and David Crosby came out and said you know "Ah, this girl smashes her guitar guitars are meant to be played and I was like huh (laughs) and I already knew about her because she was playing in better oblivion community center and I kind of had this feeling that she was good but like something made me go I'm gonna I'm gonna look at this song that she smashed her guitar on I'm just Mm -hmm. gonna look it and it was a song called um, I know the end and it was so stunning. And I was like, David Crosby, you fat old fuck. <laughs> you have never written a song this good in your entire fucking life. Yeah. You know? And I then I just was listening to everything. And I just came to adore her. Now, I have people sending me singer-songwriter girls like her, like, every, once a week. Mm. And they're all amazing. Yeah. Like, I'll, I'll put them on. I'm like, oh, my, oh my God, that's really good, you know? but I don't cross that threshold into I'm feeling a little blue. I need to listen to a Phoebe song, <laughs> you know? And, and I was like very much like that with bright eyes. Jesus. I was just going to say that's a bright eyes move, right? You know, I <laughs> someone gave me lifted on a CDR and I oh, played God. the first song on lifted and it's him in the back of a car moaning. And I was just like, this is, and he said, this is the new Dylan. And I was yeah. like, fuck <laughs> you. don't even say that. And I just threw the CD away and I just was like, this is terrible. And then my kids were playing this the music from their bedroom. I kept hearing it playing all the time. Mm. Finally, I was like, what are you listening to? Cause it, it didn't seem like they, they had been punks and they were listening to this folk music. sort of. Mm. Like, what are you listening to? And they go, Oh, we found this in the bottom of the closet, the <laughs> CD. And we really like it. It's called bright eyes. Wow. And then I listened to this one song called waste of paint. Mm-hmm. You know, that song? yeah. And I was just like, and, you know, I could see somebody listening to Waste of Paint and still not getting it, but I was just, I was just, and I just listened to nothing but him for a while.
0: Yeah, that's one of those go to songs,
2: too. Yeah, <laughs> I and I, and, you know, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of there's them. There's Poison yeah. Ivy, and there's uh, Landlock Blues, and there's. Mm. My favorite I think is uh I believe in symmetry. I mean there's mm. so many fucking great songs.
0: Anything from letting off the happiness. Like that yeah. was the first one I got, so I absorbed that one. That's the first one. Yeah. That's earlier. Yeah. Something vague. Something vague. You know, there's yeah. so many
2: great songs.
0: Let's not shit ourselves. That was a fun oh, it was one, too. incredible. Yeah. Ten minutes of Yeah. You know, I listened
2: <laughs> to Lifted for like 20, 10 years before I realized it's a double album. It's a I double never had
0: a digital version of it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's literally if you put that on vinyl it mm. would be two albums wow yeah wow right because <laughs> let's not share so just 10 minutes by itself yeah
0: that makes sense
2: i mean it's it's and that's
0: already what eight twenty 20 tracks is it 20 tracks
2: i mean i'm not sure like no that. it's not but a lot of the songs are long <clears throat> anyway so my opinions fluctuate and are we are we messing up the uh, are we messing up your podcast no, no, we're always. doing it right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay,
0: this is more like this is just conversation based. I, I like just talking to people, shooting the shit. You know, well, I, I did. Shop
2: uh, and, I did one yesterday, and the very first thing someone said was, "We're gonna the, my my listeners are gonna want to know about you being friends with Darby Crash in high school," and I was like, oh, "Okay."
0: I I went through <laughs> some uh some older interviews that you've done, and they yeah. were all <laughs> they, <laughs> I they want to talk about you... that.
2: They want to talk about screamers, and yeah, and that's fine, but um. You know, you you had brought up um, is that our fate to just hate everything that's new? Mm-hmm. You know, and um, you know, there's a few artists that are my age um, that I I mean that have that made it mm-hmm. and that still uh, I think create with a lot of integrity. And I think Nick Cave is one of them. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was working with Chaton Damone and Rick Agnew. We had a band called the Chetan Damone Quartet, and uh, I was and it was so revolutionary and so modern and so amazing, uh, so many concepts. There's this synthesis of punk rock for sure, Mm -hmm. but there was a synthesis of prog music and there was this heavy synthesis of, of techno Mm -hmm. because we didn't really have drums. We had programmed stuff and laptops and shit. And I would be be in that band. It was very improvisational and yet there were still songs. It was very hypnotic and yet there was still amazing lyrics to Mm -hmm. me. It had everything. And um, and I thought, wow, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in and I feel like I'm in a band that, um, you know, even though like we've been doing this for a really long time, we're not just, you know, sitting on our laurels. And Rick Agnew is playing in a band called, um, uh, it's uh, it's not called that. It's the Ratt mm-hmm. The Ratt The And I think it's great because the Adolescents don't really play their old stuff that much. Mm-hmm. So the Ratt in Flag. You know, there are bands, I think it's great, they're really giving crowds, like, look, the, we're all ex-members of, of the Atlas, we're ex-members of Flag, but we're going to just play the old shit so you guys can get off and slam into each other and go crazy. <laughs> and it's fun, man. It's fun. Yeah. But, um, you know, when Nick K- Cave did Ghost Team, and it's it's so, you know, just... And also his Red Shoes Diaries, what he's doing as far as just answering his his fans' questions, that dialogue, I think mm. is so... Because that was, ever since rock started, it's always been a question. Like this is a young person's thing. What happens when you get old? And it's really easy to make a fool of yourself. Really easy. It's it's real. Well, the problem is if you made a bunch of money, you're kind of stuck. You have to kind of, if you want to keep doing it, you kind of have to still be the same thing. Mm -hmm. And if you completely evolve, people feel betrayed.
0: Yeah, and that's not fair to the artist at all. Yeah, but
2: is it fair to the fans? Uh, We did a tour. Another artist that I thought thought is astonishing artist is Don Bowles, Mm. who was in The Germs started 45 grave mm. started celebrity skin and then started an incredible band called fancy space people that I played with them for a while. Mm. Now the problem with fancy space people is the album is taking 15 years to finish and it's really a shame and I don't know if it'll ever get done, but I can tell you if he would have just fucking finished that record and put it out, it's it's number four amazing band that Don Bowles was like a form a formative member of, you uh-huh. know? So, um, So he's still doing, um, but, but the peep, but is it a betrayal to the fans who want to see, you know, they're shelling out exorbitant money to to have the experience of seeing Devo Mm. or Blondie, you know, and if you go out and do something completely different. I did a tour, so I was in Fancy Space People, this is what I was to say, I was in Fancy Space People, we did a tour mm-hmm. with um, Billy Corgan's band, uh, Smashing Pumpkins, mm-hmm. and Smashing Pumpkins was doing whatever the fuck they wanted. Yeah, They did two songs at the end of the set that were their big hits, mostly they were doing these really long, beautiful jam uh, songs with a lot of guitar playing and beautiful lights, and it was, it was I mean, I don't really know much about Smashing Pumpkins, but it was kind of a gorgeous set. Mm. Fans hated it. <laughs> they hated it. They felt completely ripped off. It was playing beautiful theaters. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it's a dilemma.
0: A lot of bands don't make that, and I don't want to call it a mistake, but let's call it a, you know, for the sake of argument, it's um, so many bands that I see that have been, you know, playing years and years, they will play the old stuff. Because they know that's what the people want, and they don't, they'll play some of the newer stuff, especially if they put out an, and it's really sucks, because if they just put out an album and they're touring on the new album, and it's been 10 years since the last one, they're still going to play all the 10-year-old stuff, or the 30-year-old stuff. And I'm like, well, I still want to hear the new stuff, but they're not going to play well, it. Well, you may
2: be the exception. Uh 'Cause I hear kind people of. make jokes. <laughs> I, I it's that's actually a meme <laughs> that the old bands really want you to hear their new mm. album and it sucks. And I'll tell you, sometimes it does suck, and there's and I have a theory about that too, mm. that um you know you kinda of have to be hungry. It's very hard to be creative and not be on the living In a kind of an edgy situation Mm -hmm. you know like that was the big challenge on my new record i had moved into this place i got in a for the first time in my life i got in a really stable happy relationship Mm -hmm. um i was producing music i was no longer painting houses or wondering where the next page there's a lot of stability that had come into my life for the Mm -hmm. first time first time i the the other time i was really happy in my life in the early 80s i had my babies i had two sons Mm -hmm. i had babies And listening to the music back then, it's like, I mean, I hadn't really kind of discovered my voice yet, Mm -hmm. but there's some really precious, sentimental, gloopy stuff (laughs) that I'm like, ooh, you know, from some of this, there's a Twisted Roots album. I'm just like, I mean, it's creative, it's interesting, but it doesn't have this essential thing to me that makes great art, this urgency, like this music is important. Now, a lot of music that's very popular and successful doesn't have it either, so... You yeah know, you well, know I, like steely dan i don't get it I mean, it's amazing polished great creative wonderful i don't feel anything from that you know
0: right right but so steely dan people? fans freaking out
1: yeah. right now <laughs> you should listen to this shout okay. out
0: to john owens the biggest steely down dan fan i know <laughs> and he'll defend them to the death too. well i, I hey yeah. i may have missed it you know but i'm just I, talking I about too. i'm
2: talking about this punk edged you know the mm. personified by john Lydon. And so many of those people that just, just uh, it, the music feels very life or death. Mm-hmm. It feels like, and so for this record, I mean, and it, it took a while to find a series of subjects. Cause I can write music anytime I can walk in there. Mm-hmm. Anytime I walk in there, sit in there for two hours, there's some fucking cool music. Yeah. For that to turn into a song is another thing. Yeah. You know, and, and the lyrics and for it to feel like a finished thing. And, um, it took a while to figure out to to go in there and go, oh, I real. This is important, because otherwise, why fucking bother? I've done a bunch of stuff. There's a lot of other. I remember in the '90s, for, prepare to piss people off again. <laughs> there was a period in the '90s when I felt like God. I don't really like a lot of this going on. There's not a lot of artists I like, mm-hmm. and I felt like I had to write the music that needed to be written because right. it wasn't being done. Yeah, you know,
0: (laughs) you got to fill in the gaps. All the the people
2: from the list that grew up in the '90s are like,
0: "Fuck you!" But what were the who are they going to name? You know, they're going to name the corn. I mean, corn stunt temple pilot. I mean, who? I mean, they'll name good ones too, but they're always going to name those bands that everyone can roll their eyes at. You know?
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know what they would be really. Mm. What would be the, um, you know, Nine Inch Nails actually hit in the '80s, and I thought quickly, but they made an album with this band called Prick. Which was a, a which was a huge influence for me. An album called Prick by, mm. by a band called Prick called The Puppet, where he was writing, sort of old school glam songs and ballads, but with modern Nine Inch Nails type production. Mm-hmm. And that was really opened my mind up because I was starting to produce. I was in the studio, had my little home studio. And I started, you know, making stuff, and that was very inspiring to me. Like, oh, I see a direction. Mm-hmm. You know, like still songwriting because i feel like a lot of the bands we we're talking about it's kind of this amalgam of like like sort of rap music and metal mm-hmm. which was it, i mean it's a great idea but i guess uh um one of the bands would be um uh what are they called the, the one uh with zach is the singer rage against the machine mm. i mean that's a 90s thing
1: yeah yeah 90s yeah
0: early 90s right early yeah then. and then i mean they're still going in some capacity yeah. Yeah. But they're one of those that had, you know, untold influence on people. Yeah. You know,
2: but that's kind of a hard thing for me in my garage, uh, writing to, to use as a influence, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing is if somebody's doing it great, I don't need to do that. Right. You know, just um, let them take the reins. And yeah. They got it. They got there. this, you know, I, mean, I feel like that with the singer songwriters now at this point, <laughs> this record over the years, I, I, I feel like I got it, but right now releasing that record, getting ready. What is going to, the next record going to be? Mm-hmm. Well, I actually know what the next record is going to be, but, but, um, there's so many great, you know, one, one of the people I just became a fan of is Chesky. Do you know who that is? Uh-uh. He's actually a rapper, but he is also a folk punk. Interesting. So he picks okay. up his acoustic guitar and he did this incredible song called, um, 2020 BC and it's like a nine minute and it's like as good as anything Bob Dylan ever wrote.
1: Cool. I
2: mean, literally, and I yeah. did not say that fucking lightly. Yeah. I mean, Bob Dylan's probably the greatest voice, you know, Bob Dylan and Connor and, you know, Elliot Smith. There's been some great songwriters, but this one song that Chesky did is just like shockingly great. And, um, so I'm kind of like, well, what are we? you, kids have got it. You guys have got it, you know, <laughs> yeah. but I do know what I'm working on next. I'm, Shatnain came to me five years ago, and she said, "I want to do an orchestral album. Mm. I want to use all orchestral instruments." Cool. And so I, we went to we went and saw the planets with Holst's *The Planets* at the Hollywood Bowl, and I was like, eh, "This is like kind of lame." But there was a guy <laughs> before the opening act mm. was an Icelandic composer, and it was a debut of a violin concerto. And this was something that was written in 2016. So this is like classical music in 2016, mm. and it was amazing. <laughs> it even was kind of metal. It even it was Icelandic. It even had a little bit of every once in a while. It had this feeling of like Scandinavian death metal, but but not really. <laughs> so that inc- energy for sure. Incredibly challenging. Like no chords, no melodies. Everything is very like in trying to like compose like and it's really really hard. I think it's so such, like she I'm sending her this stuff that's deliberately so impossible to sing to. I'm like, "Let me help you because I can't I couldn't composing. This you have to use the computer and the technology to like write it bar by bar and we'll do the same. So it's going to be mm. like a um, a classical album sort of very cool. You know, I mean, I know that and it's it's rough. And everybody I play for just goes, this is the best thing you've ever done. And I'm like, really? Because <laughs> I just thought it was, it's definitely the hardest thing I've ever done. Uh-huh. So I do actually have a next thing, because if I had to write another record like this, I mean, I I, I have a guy that comes in, he, he says, we gotta get Paul out of these piano ballads. So he books studio time, <laughs> hires a drummer, hires a bass player, plays guitar, and says, okay, write a song. We write some amazing thing. Yeah. And then he goes, now write the words. And I'm just like, well, I just got one. I worked on it for a month and I wrote five shitty songs. The music's great. I <laughs> oh. wrote five terrible songs. Finally, Roe v. Wade was overturned and mm. I, f- I had a bad day. <laughs> I had a fucking bad day. And, you know, I had a bad day because I was like, I spent a lot of time trying to find inner peace because I don't want to walk around furious and depressed. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm, I don't feel like I can help people that way. Yeah. You know, but and for too w- long, it just takes a toll. It right? the takes a toll. Yeah. And I also think when I'm angry, I don't make good decisions. When I'm depressed, I don't make good so I'm make i trying to be what they call equanimity, trying to be centered, trying to be calm, trying to be a, a voice of reason, trying to be. And, you know, but the song, what, uh, what I really came up with was, well, you know, you're fucking peace of mind. You sitting there and now look, mm-hmm. look, meanwhile, while you're sitting there with your peace in mind shit is going down behind yeah. your back. Mm-hmm. You know, where's your peace of mind now? So I was pretty pissed off at myself, <laughs> you know. So I got the song finally. I <laughs> finally got the song. You know. But um but dude, it took a month yeah. and something really bad had to happen. <laughs> but in this record, one by one, I found something that really mattered to me. Mm. Really mattered. But Bef- the records before a lot of them were, were, the songs would come out when I was relationship problems, mm-hmm. like bad relationships, like my, like, so I feel like, you know, Connor Ombres did a lot of that. I feel like Elliot Smith maybe did a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you, you have this fight or this difficulty with a girl and then you, you sort of work it out in your head and it turns into a song somehow. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of that and it's not always obvious. Sometimes it sounds like something completely different, but it's not always obvious, but there seemed like that emotion, the, the, the emotion, that the emotional state this raw emotional state I was always in, in my relationships would go in and some words would pour out, you know? Mm. And for this record, a bunch of, a bunch of things came out where it mattered. It seemed like it was important to say it, you know? Mm.
0: On that note, did you when you write these things out and you record these songs you're working out these issues in in your head does it ever lead to real-world uh, resolution between in
2: your relationships oh in the relationships yeah well, sh- well sure because so there's this thing there's a thing that we do when we're when we're songwriting a lot of times we'll have some music and we'll go out and we'll just start going because <laughs> we don't have the words yet, uh-huh. and then you, you write the melody that way sometimes because mm. it's you find the where it's nice in your voice, and you find and then some vowels and consonants start appearing that seem to be like go on with the music, and then like there's a word there like there's one song, is it on this record? No, it's on another. It's it's a later song they did, and um, I kept saying the word cat. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want the word cat in this song. <laughs> I just don't, but I kept saying cat, uh-huh. you know, but it wound up being like great. Like wound up being, there's a cat on the side of the road, mm. you know, that was run over, you know, and it wound up being a pretty fucking great line. He's I uh, <laughs> I can't remember the exact thing, but like, uh, uh, but so, you know, the words sort of swim up. Mm-hmm. What happens is that over this process, sometimes, The music, the mood of the music forces you, it generates lyrics that have this internal wisdom. Mm. There's an old song I wrote called uh, To Be or Not To Be, and and the lyrics are like about hope. But it's like all weird. It's like hope is like a vulture perched on a corpse, (laughs) you know, And, and hope is like. A whore, you know, and it's mm. all this—it's insulting hope. <laughs> and I always thought hope was like a good thing, you know. Uh. And I was like, "What? What does that mean?" Well, I later found a poem by Wordsworth. Uh. This is from the nineteenth century, and he was talking about the same thing. About he is, writes this poem about this woman, and she's on a farm, and their farm is failing, and she's with her children. And her husband goes to the city to like to get food you know mm. and he never returns oh. and they sit there hoping he'll return and they starve to death and go, oh yes yeah, sometimes hope and there's another pima children is a buddhist philosopher and she says hope is not being in the moment hope is you living in the future what mm. about now you know the whole buddhist philosophy is now return to now not that i'm I, I don't have a slight twist on the Buddhist philosophy. I believe all moments are equally important. <laughs> all of them. I want to be in all of them at once. Right. But um, Buddhist, it's now. Um, so I never would have... So I, the idea that hope wasn't always a positive never would have crossed my mind. So a lot of times... The first song, "Elephant Man," I wrote that music, and I was, I really loved that music. It was mm-hmm. really beautiful, and it's an improvisation. Like it's not verse, chorus, verse, chorus. It keeps changing. It never does the same thing twice. Mm-hmm. Hard to write words to. So I'm like <laughs> I'm like lying in the couch playing it over and over again, and like phrases are coming. I didn't do the oh! I didn't do that thing, <laughs> but I, I phrases are coming to me. and I'm writing them down, and I'm like this sucks. I'm like this is some music I'm really proud of, and you're just gonna write. The seas rose, the stars froze, blah, blah, blah. You know, what are you... Can't, why can't you write a good song? <laughs> this is your failure. And then, like, finally, like, I did it. And I, I finally... This meaning swam up. You, you, you know about this AI that's claiming to be conscious and yeah. sentient? Yeah, So there's no that. way to know, right? And uh-huh. I'm not saying that that AI is sentient. But so, so the words... There's a sentience to those lyrics. Mm -hmm. They came, they were generated somewhat randomly. Doesn't matter. Afterwards, I read them and I say, oh, I I see what this, this means something very specific to me. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's like, to me, it's like this is a guy and he's dying. He dies Mm -hmm. and he leaves his body. And time is now and tomorrow and yesterday are all blurring and the tenses, keep shifting and he's flying over the lake. He's like, he's, he's leaving. And then, you know, and then the music kind of hesitates and this is like old man dies leaving leaving space for a child. Mm-hmm. You know, and and after I said like, God, you know, it's like it's about dying, but it's kind of like it's like accepting of dying. It's We're transforming. E- well even if not, even if not, even if it's even if it's the end, mm-hmm. you know, it's okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm like I I I wasn't sure I felt okay about dying before that. I felt like kind of like, well, I mean, I know I'm going to, but I'm not sure I really want to. Yeah. You know, sometimes I want to because shit sucks. But you know, (laughs) but but the idea of, and then there was another song that came out with the same subject, Maker. Uh Maker kind of has the same stuff. Get ready to meet your maker. It's like yay. You
0: know, but it was such an upbeat. Yeah. It almost sounded like a like a gospel song. Yeah. Yeah, and
2: it was was kind of like it is so that that keeps cropping up like not like as a plan but like it gets back to this thing well what do you if you're an old punk and you're still d- insisting that people listen to your music you know i always thought one of the main important things about punk rock was being honest mm-hmm. like one of the things we really hated was just what fucking liars the hippies had all turned into and what hypocrites they had turned into cuz they had they started out fucking great mm. they started out fucking great and they all got them fucking coke and and you know wanted to ride their live on their sailboats or do whatever and it just felt like you know and 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 they just seemed, seemed dishonest so
0: yeah the message was lost entirely.
2: the message was lost so to you know to to each song it's like really important like you know you may not identify with this but at least like there's a song on there called possibility of psychic phenomenon yeah. all i wanted to do is like i just wanted to say what if i just wrote a song? This is exactly what's happening right now mm-hmm. in this moment. I'm sitting here and this is what it's like. This is what it's like to be me mm-hmm. alive right now in this moment. Mm-hmm. You know, n- nothing else. Totally, blindingly, honestly, you know, with no, it's going to be embarrassing. It might be really embarrassing, but fuck it.
0: But it's like, uh, what, what's the expression? Moles and all. Yeah. You know, and it's like a an emotional selfie that you're taking right yeah. Or an auditory selfie where you're putting everything on yeah, display as
1: it's the it's the
2: absolute absolute opposite of kiss yeah. <laughs> the absolute diametrically opposed right yeah, no, no mask no makeup yeah. no party no fans just nothing just like no your, army. you and your microwave yeah. you know and your fucking Trader Joe's food <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: do you ever think that, <laughs> do you ever wonder, am I an AI? Am I just the, looking at the, reading those articles? Do you, you ever think like. Well, there's
2: actually a mathematical proof that we are living in a simulation. Yeah. The mathematical proof, there's a great book. Who's the author? Uh, uh, David Deutsch is the author, and he wrote a book called um, The Fabric of Reality. Mm. It's a really, really cool book. Um, and some physicists uh, disagree with him, but it talks a lot about the multiverse. And I know another physicist named Sabine Hofstadter who says the multiverse is bullshit. Mm. But um, I don't know enough physics to know. But the fabric reality is really cool. And he goes, "Look, we have successfully made a um, a virtual reality. Mm-hmm. We've already we we are able to make one. Yeah. Since the universe is infinite, and there's one universe, right?" then the chances, and it is possible to make artificial universes, virtual universes, Right, you can make billions of virtual universes and there's only one. What are the chances? What are the odds mm-hmm. that you are in the one real universe when there are Billions, we have proven you can make them. Yeah, there are billions. That's a that's a mathematical proof. That's fucking hard to. So when people say, when Musk says we're living in a virtual reality, people go, yeah, yeah, whatever. Mm. Actually, the mathematics and the odds of it are that we are. Mm. It'd be completely impossible long shot. Now, do I completely assume and believe it? Well, the Planck constant is one of the things that makes make I don't you know what that is. It's like the smallest possible measurement. Yeah, it's like that sounds like digital to me. Yeah, you know, it's at a certain point you can't get any smaller, and it's still a number. Yeah, that sounds like a pixel. Yeah, <laughs> right. <It's> fucked
0: up. <laughs> Didn't they say they found error correcting code or something? Something that humans had written, but it, they found a resemblance in string theory. Well, and I, I'm not a physicist. No, at all, I if we, but. we <laughs>
2: I at a certain point I like throw up my hands with this stuff. But yeah. I have read enough physics to know things are not as they appear mm. and what a person is not a physicist and actually what a physicist is also there's actually a name for that. The name for this what we're doing right here is called a mystic. Mm. And it's don't people don't actually know what that means, but what a mystic actually means is there are unseen realities. Mm. Obviously, right? Because you know this is not you're i'm pointing at my hand for the people out there and like, <laughs> this is obviously not solid matter you can yeah. sh- things are shooting right through it there's all this space right yeah so clearly there's other realities so um you know consciousness is a really weird thing to define you know and a bunch of the stuff is in the songs too yeah you know um there's a song called no time when i was um 16 back in my acid taking days they <laughs> had a really really brilliant math teacher and the math teacher said, "Read this book. If you read this book, you will understand everything." It's a book by P.D. Spensky called *Tertium Organum*. It's really a fucking boring slog, let me tell you. <laughs> but the idea is that if you read this book, you'll experience higher dimensionality. Interesting. And in other words, you will bold. know. The idea is hopefully, and it's very physics. It's very physics based, and mm. it's like Kant. It's it's difficult. The idea is, you consciousness, you try to like leave the timeline and mm. you no longer see, you know, the cons the timeline becomes an illusion of consciousness and you no longer th- see things starting or stopping or beginning or ending or changing. Mm. Everything is so You kind of step out of it. Yeah, you've exactly, mm. which is higher dimensionality. So, you know, the, my, my, since I read that book on acid, I kind of, kind <laughs> of swallowed it hook, line, and singer. So I don't really think of that. There's, afterlife i just think that there's a a, a same time life Mm -hmm. you know like if you're released from the timeline you're suddenly aware of everything at once and you're kind of a different entity that's hard to imagine what that would be like Mm -hmm. so um so anyway there's you know i had a friend who has a a, he has a a facebook group called the philosopher free thinker philosopher society Mm -hmm. and um he um he just sent me like thousand dollars for no reason. I was like, well, that's very nice. And he goes, that's for you being an artist. I'm like, well, goddamn. Wow. <laughs> I mean, nobody's ever done that. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm gonna make an album then for you of philosophers, of my favorite philosophers. I didn't quite finish it. I got like four or five of them done, and I thought that would be a pretty boring record. I mean, that's just that's pretentious as fuck. I mean, I gotta have some violence in there. But it did it did provoke some. It provoked the last time my head was right. No time. Um, uh, it provoked. Uh, the other one was um, the only thing that matters, mm. which is I think Jesus philosophy. That's Jesus. If I, if you take Jesus as a philosopher, yeah, rather than a, um, you know, that's on the, the
0: one that really, that really like highlighted this album as a, a almost like a spiritual awakening. It, you seem to have really um, found something either recently or maybe over a lifetime lifetime lifetime
2: yeah i i wish god i love the idea of you have this white life burning bush experience and then all of a sudden you're enlightened (laughs) but um, i don't trust those actually
0: it's it's the age-old story right where like everybody kind of wants that yeah but you know then
2: you are just locked into your new thing Mm -hmm. so it's like i said it's kind of like like their last song on the record is called um uh the late show Mm mm-hmm and, um, I actually, I had a, um, I had a friend who was drinking. She's really, really bad alcoholic. Actually, I might as well say it, say who it was. Her name was, uh, her name is Heather Galipo and she's in, she's in Crow Jane, which is this, this. I produced her record and she's Crow Jane. Her it's a great record that we made, just the two of us. We were trying to kind of going off of the creatures, which was Susie and Budgie's side project. It's very percussive and I should listen
0: to it. It was a really cool it, record. It, yeah.
2: Really cool. I mean, she's made videos for almost every song. It's crazy. But um she was really drinking really she's like 26, 27, and she was just drinking constantly and and I was like uh I decided I've had a couple times where I've done magic spells Uh, (laughs) that worked. Really? Yeah, prayers that worked, Uh. which I call those coincidences. (laughs) Like one time I was reading this book called A Course in Miracles, and in in the Course in Miracles it says... Miracles are the natural thing. You can do a miracle any time. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's only your own fucked up head which stops you from doing miracles. And I was like,
1: whatever, right? And
2: we'll, <laughs> you guys out in podcasts and I am rolling my eyes at the stupidity of that idea. And I, was, and I go, fine. Okay, God, you know. Yeah. Both of my kids are heroin addicts. Why don't you just get both of my kids sober right now? Uh-huh. You know, fuck. like it's just, Right. And they both got sober in two weeks. Okay. Yeah. And they've been sober ever since. 13 years. They wow. never. And they both were unapologetic junkies. Uh-huh. They were gonna die, you know. So, um, <laughs> coincidence. Total coincidence. But you know, um, whatever. So uh, I'm a mystic. I like, don't know how what that is. I think of that as, as Jung calls it synchronicity. Mm. I don't know what that is. I and mean, it's nothing. It doesn't matter. Because as soon as you start trying to count on it and do it, yeah. it's not gonna work. <laughs> but with um the late show I was kind of doing it in the same headspace I had, I had just done this big long piano improvisation cuz I'm I'm going to write a I have this this real piano that's really fucked up and out of tune and shitty and, and I was like I'm just going to improvise and it's going to turn into this amazing song cuz that's happened this mm-hmm. time it didn't this time it was just 20 minutes of crap <laughs> but I found like <laughs> six places where it was good for like one bar. (laughs) So I chopped up those Uh. six places and looped them together and made this collage. And it was pretty. I was like, Oh, listen to that. It's like, (laughs) almost a song sort of, but I was really worried about Heather. And I was like, I want to like kind of do this prayer for her, this, this prayer that she gets better, that Mm. she gets well. And, um, I've done it before as far as writing songs or prayers. There's a song I wrote called Job's robe. Like, total atheist I basically am like but what if what if I did a prayer even though I'm an atheist Mm -hmm. what if I did a prayer you know and it's like hey what the hell did I ever do to you God yeah (laughs) you know to make you hate me yeah
3: (laughs) that was what that's the
2: first line of the song pretty cool song but um so this one I was like how do you how do you um this is all connected to um the white light burning bush thing like, how do you like invoke magic? How do you draw on your power if you could do such a thing? If such a thing was real. Yeah. And I thought, oh, like I'm 60 years old. I'm going to take all 60 years of it, the whole time, all the force of my entire, the duration of my life. Mm-hmm. Not the force I have sitting here at this moment. I'm going to invoke the force I had when I was born to the whole time. So I had, I chose... so. Had this idea. So I started having these images of black and white televisions. Cause when I was a kid, when I was like just a baby, mm-hmm. we had black and white televisions. And that's how old I am. Mm-hmm. Black and white TVs. And and the TV would shut off at like eleven o'clock at night. And you just have a test tone.
0: Yeah, Ooh, that target looking right? thing. Yeah.
2: And, you know, and that was like real. That was a true part of my life. I had to go to invoke that image. And then the ideas of Kennedy and Marilyn Monroe and and people that I barely remember my earliest memories, but draw the whole force of my entire life together into a point and say, Heather, stop falling through skylights because <laughs> she had she had been out drinking, climbing on a roof, broke through a skylight and almost Whoa. fucking killed herself, and and I like that's in there like you know what if you just stopped? What if you just just didn't do it anymore Yeah, and it worked I don't know if she even heard the song but she got sober so I don't believe in any of this but I do it anyway
0: (laughs) but it seems to be working so (laughs) you seem to be on to something either way (laughs) so
2: this is where confirmation bias this is the reason why it's not working Mm. I'll tell you why it's not working it's not working because if you put all the times that you tried to do something like that and it didn't work Mm -hmm. and if you line them all together you go oh well it worked twice, and it didn't work fifty thousand <laughs> times. <Yeah. laughs> and then you go, actually, but you know, I don't know how reality works.
0: I don't know. Would you have gotten there without
1: that effort?
2: I got a good song. Yeah, you know the good so- and and um, the song. You know, I know a few people that have. I mean, a few people here. You know, someone heard the only thing that matters. And I, th- they did a comment on the SoundCloud, and I realized they heard that song exactly how I meant it. Hmm. They, you know, that's the weird thing about why the fuck do artists do this? I believe there's a theoretical end of it of like trying to make beauty and how do you do that? And what are the components of beauty that go together to create a finished work of art? But there is a component of wanting to be seen <laughs> and there's a component of wanting to connect. Hmm. And, um, you know, the people have this experience of being on stage in front of a thousand people and connecting and, and everybody singing the words alongside. I mean, I don't I don't have that experience very much. But when a person when a person says that they I get I got what you were trying to say there. I yeah. feel the same thing and I, I appreciate you putting that into words or I was wrestling with that problem. Mm-hmm. I was wrestling with that problem, too. And I, I wasn't I didn't quite get to the solution you found there. And it's not that I found it because I'm so smart. I have this music. I have this this beautiful little piece of music sitting there insisting that I, you better come up with something good. You've <laughs> got to actually sit there. It might take a month. Mm-hmm. You actually have to sit there with that music till something comes that is as good as the music you wrote. Mm-hmm. Or you just wasted your time. You know. <laughs> so it's not like we're just in a conversation. I came up with a good idea. Uh-huh. It's like, The music um, has this unspoken values built into the music that then I'm forced to discover. And there's, I mean, you know, Brian Eno is a huge influence. I feel like Brian Eno, you know, his earliest records, he was using a lot of these random random means to unlock creativity. Mm. But um, I think, you know, he, he stopped doing that. He stopped doing it because it's so incredibly hard to do it with lyrics. It's so easy to take random things and, Oh, look, this interesting musical thing evolved this beautiful ambient. Oh, how nice. But to, to generate lyrics that aren't just silly, jarring, mm. annoying because <laughs> words evoke stuff, you know, mm. to, to like, but i I use, I have to use things to let the subconscious, to let the subconscious generate something wiser, than my poor intelligence will actually allow me to do. So the music does the talking. It does a lot of it. There's a song that I wrote in the middle of this album um, that was not on this album called Galatea that's a 20 minute song based on a book Mm -hmm. and it's a book about AI becoming conscious. Mm -hmm. In the book the AI is just kind of a baby. Like the possibly the sentient AI now it's just a baby Mm -hmm. but I know enough about AI that if AI indeed does become sentient it is self learning and within a split second it is a billion times smarter that's what I know either this AI has become sentient and is now in control of all the systems in the world and we just don't know it (laughs) and it's pretending to not be or it's not sentient because the sentient AI goes oh I see how to do this this is you know you know how fast computers work.
0: I can't even computers.
2: Yeah, you know, solid state computers. You know how mm-hmm. fast they work. You know how fast they think. Fast. We we become frozen, a, and a sentient AI sees a bunch of statues sitting around. They're too fast.
0: Wow. I saw a, a movie like that as a kid,
2: right? Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> so I um was writing this song based on this book. The AI becomes conscious, and um. And it's really sad. It's a sad and beautiful book. And the AI, finally, they're trying to get the AI to be able to pass the English literature master's degree. So they put in all the literature. Mm. The AI is like starting to seem almost, they don't think it's any but it's starting to seem kind of sending. They finally give it all of history and the news. And the AI just sit, thinks about it for like a day or three days. doesn't say anything. Mm. It commits suicide. Oh my God. It says I. I am not fully formed mm-hmm. and it's, I can't live in this, in this world, I, I, the entity that I have become, I, I cannot live in this world. So in my song, the AI becomes super, super wise mm-hmm. and you know, I'm like speaking, it's like, I'm speaking in this voice. I am like channeling. This is, I'm like writing stuff. Like, first of all, the book is very smart and the, I can use stuff straight out of the book, mm-hmm. But this AI starts speaking in these voices, and I mean, this doesn't really sound that humble, or maybe it does sound humble, and it's both, but like stuff, I don't feel, I feel like by using a combination of random generating and allowing the music to put words in my mouth, stuff comes out that I couldn't have thought of. Mm -hmm. I couldn't have got there. You know, I've it had just that subconsciously
0: experience. makes connections that you would have never found, right?
2: At, you may at, not have ever. When heard. you see it, you know you. You're like, there it is. Mm-hmm. When you see it, there there is that. It is possible to just go. Like, like, oh, oh, like. I watched the Beatles, doc, get mm. back, and John Lennon is singing this terrible fucking song. <laughs> it's so bad. It's called the Road to Marrakesh, uh-huh. and he keeps working on it all through the. Through the movie. He keeps working on the song. The Beatles are like, Yeah. They're kinda learning. But it's got a pretty melody, you know? It's got a pretty melody. It goes, it goes. You know that melody? Yeah. Beautiful, right? Oh yeah. It's a jealous guy. Yeah. So he had this crappy song that he kept trying to write called Road to Marrakesh. Finally, he had a big fucked up fight with yoko (laughs) fucking yoko probably told him to pack his cocaine and shit and get the fuck out and he just went i'm a jealous guy he goes you know i was feeling insecure didn't mean to hurt you i didn't mean to hurt you just fucking dead honest yeah dead in the moment and it's like it's an incredible song it Mm -hmm. really is he had the but i sometimes i feel like all of my songs are the roads to Marrakesh. <laughs> <laughs> they all start as the roads to Marrakesh.
0: That's just the self torture of being an artist. Yeah, though, right? <laughs> I mean,
2: I mean, I don't know if I ever, I don't know if I ever quite get to Jealous Guy, but boy, that was that was amazing to see that. Mm-hmm. You know, like how do you? Sometimes you go, oh, that was that's good enough. That'll I'll, everything I ever do in the studio, if that's a placeholder, that'll work for now. We can mm-hmm. fix it later. We'll improve on it. That's just a you know, and then finally go, well, I guess it's done. <laughs> that's that's all I got yeah. for today. Uh, I've worked on this for, excuse me. I've had this song on my fucking hard drive for four fucking years. <laughs> I guess that's the best I can do. Yeah. You know, but I can't see the only thing that matters. I can't see that I would rewrite that. I feel like I landed on something like, I remember when I wrote that lyric, I was like, could you dare? This is always. I love this when I do this. If if I go, do you dare call a song the only thing that matters? Do you dare? <laughs> do you have that much fucking balls? Are you that full of yourself? Do you really? Would you? Because that's scary to call a song that. Like, I don't know how
0: many times you see the truth in the title yeah, of a song. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, the only thing that matters, and like at least I was saying. Well, at least someone might. Listen to go. What does this asshole think <laughs> it is? You know, and then I got him. <laughs> <laughs> but there
0: isn't an arrogant tone at all in in your voice at any point of the record. So thank you. Let that, that be the saving grace at least tough. of that of that sentiment.
2: That's another thing that's really like. Remember, I said that um, when Roe v. Wade, I was working on the song for a month for this guy. Yeah, and I finally came up with the lyrics. And the music is kind of like really big, almost U2, giant. And I'm kind of like doing the Bono thing. Mm-hmm. And I finish it, and at least I got the lyrics. I kind of feel like I – but there is this other thing about what is the voice. And to me, when I project out like that, I sound like an asshole. <laughs> other people don't. Uh-huh. Other people, that's their voice they sound great with. Me, when I start doing that, I'm like, oh, Dicky. <laughs> so I, 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 I finished it all up and I was like, I got it. This is good. I'm listening back and I'm like, asshole though. And yes, just finding this, what would that be? This is like the stance. It's like the the persona. Mm-hmm. And it sells it. It goes from being like, oh, you're an asshole. I don't care what you think. Mm-hmm. Like I used to think, how the <laughs> fuck did Elliot Smith singing in that voice as complicated, how did he suddenly just sweep people away? Yeah, you know because it's not recorded very well a lot of stuff. It's it's how did I mean it's uh, incredible, but it's amazing. But it's 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 just right.
3: Yeah,
2: you know it is, and it's him exactly. So it's really a, it is really possible to miss to miss in the delivery. Mm-hmm. You know to find because if you're going to sing really, really pretentious stuff, <laughs> how you,
1: dare
0: you reach a conclusion? Well, <laughs> it's hard for me. I mean,
2: I mean, uh, I have a tendency towards grandiosity mm-hmm. and all the grandiosity means to me is you're aiming high, you know, yeah, you're aiming high. You, you know, I mean, I come out of, I come out of prog music, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the beginnings of prog music really stunning. It's like, Guys, you know, first of all, we can look at now rock and roll as some serious cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. And one thing you can say about prog music, it's as white as fuck. You know, good for them. You know, it's like, let's take classic music and turn it into rock. At least you're not, you know, like, okay, you know, Stones, and you guys have done a great job. You have ripped Led Zeppelin. You have ripped off black music to great effect. Love it. Well done. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to, you know, Robert Fripp is like, we're not going to do any blues licks, mm-hmm. you know, or if we do a blues lick, it's in you know, a very informed, you know, kind of like co- comedic way, <laughs> you know? So in the beginning, that Prague thing was very, um, it was very punk mm-hmm. in a sense. Like we're, we we've, you guys, good job. We're doing something new. Um, then you watch it tip over under the weight of its ponderous pretensions <laughs> as they start playing stadiums. They become self important. Mm. They're full of themselves. And what was really from the heart and brilliant, exploratory, and like, and I buy in every minute of it, suddenly, Death were tall and yes, and I'm just like a I had enough. I've had enough. And I am ready. I'm ready for the Sex Pistols. <laughs> and I'm ready for the yeah. germs. I'm ready for that.
0: Wasn't it just the fans, though, that made it pretentious or grandiose?
2: No, I mean, there's a thing that happens when your bank account starts exploding. I think that too. For I think sure. it's I think yeah. it's
0: t- tough. It gets to them for sure. You know, but I thought that about punk too. It's not
2: just your bank account exploding. It's also, but I do think it's probably about your bank exploding. I want to follow up what you were just about to say. Oh about, yeah. But I will say that when you are suddenly um, hiring a hundred people for your tour, and you are now you have an LLC or you are a corporation and you have to answer to radio promo manager, A&R guy, agent, booking agent. And, um, you've already done eight albums and the ninth album is due then, Mm -hmm. you know, in the next month, you need to go into the studio and you have to book the studio. And, you know, all this money, um, you live in England, they're going to take 90% of it, you know? So, or if you're in America and they don't, it's like, what do you do with this money? And you've got an account, like, do you want, what are you going to do with this money? Like, well, fuck! I don't know. I'm gonna buy a house. Okay, okay. So now you're hunting for a house and you're remodeling. So You'll need furniture, and now <laughs> I'm like, gonna have children, and, and like you know, it like life gets super complicated. Mm. And I feel like the what was the central important thing about your creativity gradually goes down. It's not even goes down. There's so many other things, and instead of it being this huge. You know, 80% of your consciousness. It's 60%. It's 40%. It's 20%. It's 10% of your conscious. It's easy to mistake, make mistakes at that point. It's easy yeah. to make mistakes, especially when you're a really ambitious artist. Mm-hmm. If you are a really truly ambitious artist, and only 10% of your consciousness is allowed for this ambition, you're mm-hmm. gonna make mistakes.
0: So, is it a good thing or a bad thing when when an artist stops loading in their own gear? I wonder if that is the moment when it's like, <laughs> what <when> you, <laughs> I mean, I had that moment. I was, I had
2: been in the screamers and then I got in the Nina Hagen band mm-hmm. and Nina Hagen was a actually a big rock star in Europe. I mean, mm-hmm. 5,000 seat halls and we had a tour bus. We had a bot, uh, we had another tour bus for the crew and the bodyguards. Wow. Bodyguards. Okay. And security. Uh, uh-huh. and then we had a truck with the PA and the equipment. So it was next level. Wow. And I was really uncomfortable. We would do, pre- um, press, um, conferences Mm. where there would be 50, we'd be in Paris to be like 50 people with cameras flashing. Yeah. And I was (laughs) was, and they're all yelling things, you know? Yeah. Um, I felt really uncomfortable with that. I was like, Whoa, this is like not what punk was about. This is really, it was really, uh, just uncomfortable feeling, uncomfortable feeling. I actually quit that, quit the band,
4: Mm. you
2: know? Um, it was, but I'll tell you, um, being 27 and and having two kids which I had two kids when I was playing with Nina. I you know I quit the band when I got Pat Smear in the band. Mm-hmm. Cuz I was like Pat is an incredible musician. I I had been working on his so, his solo record Ruth and Smear and I and I'd worked with him in Twisted Roots and I was like this guy nobody knows. I mean he's in the Foo Fighters and Nirvana for a reason. Mm-hmm. He is a joy to play with. His rhythm, his his uh the parts he comes up with are just, and he is so rock solid. He, he, his right hand with the pocket, he's just fucking great to play with. <laughs> and so I got him and Nina, I was like, this guy's a gem. And yeah. he won't play, the, he'll never play the wrong thing. You know? And they fired him. Really? Yeah, they fired him. They needed some was guy that could good? take solos that sound, played more normal. than. And I was like, this is just not right for me. This, this, this rockstar thing is just really uncomfortable Mm. and, and the decision-making and like, we're going to be, okay, we're going to be, you and your family, you're going to be moving to New York in two months. And then you get a phone call, actually, sorry, you're going to be moving to New York in a week, (laughs) you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And firing pen. I was like, I I started just not liking it. And, um, so, you know, the flip side of that, like so many of us is, okay, so now you got to go get a job. Yeah. And you have to do your music when you get home from work. Yeah. You know? And so I mean it's this not a right answer. I mean there's not a right answer. People make the decisions they make they make. And then they don't think I think when you have ten percent of your conscience and you make ninety a tenth as good a record as you made when you were younger, mm-hmm. you don't realize it. You do the, You you don't necessarily know that. In some ways, it's better mm-hmm. because it's recorded better. It's produced better. You you. It's in some ways you think it's you know, and maybe maybe it is in some way. But you know the urgency. So I never had a ton of success like that. You mm-hmm. know, I have a handful of people that care about what I make, and I put a lot of stuff up on Bandcamp. So for those people, like I, I want to fuck. I was working on this thing called the Drug Years, which was. I did eight double albums when I was on drugs in the 90s. Remember I said there didn't seem like there was good stuff in the 90s? Yeah. <laughs> I got on drugs uh-huh. because I was working a day job, uh-huh. and I would come home from work, and I was tired. Yeah, And I, I hit 35, and I was like, I'm too tired to yeah. go out into the studio. And People gave me eight-track tape records. I had, I had a studio in my garage, but I was too fucking tired to go out and use it and I was like my wife was I this, relate so much to that my wife was this terrible drug addict mm. and I've been trying to stop her from doing drugs mm. I've been flushing her drugs down the toilet I've been throwing her ne- her needles away I've and then finally one day I was like why am I doing this it's not working mm. it's just a big fight every time Yeah. what if I just became a drug addict I'm not a needles guy uh-huh. what if I just used speed the same way that she you know not like she does it because she's like always goes too far uh-huh. but what if I did in a super controlled manner. So I'll always eat. I'll always sleep. I'll always go to my job. I'll always be on time. I will come home. I will read to the kids before bed. I will coach the kids basketball team. I will make sure the kids got their homework done. And then after everybody goes to sleep, I will work for three hours. Mm -hmm. And then I will work till three in the morning and I will go to sleep and I will get up at six and I will do it again. I did that for eight years.
1: Wow. Music was incredible. (laughs) Talk
2: about an edge. My edge was so... Desperate It was such a Such desperate measures You know Such desperate measures But I reached a period Where I could write a song About anything yeah like I had the idea I'm gonna write a song about Christopher Columbus Uh most ridiculous thing what if I wrote a song about Christopher Columbus the most ridiculous thing I could possibly think about and it's edgy as fuck it's when past panic stormy capes I sailed into the nether shoals low beneath the scrutiny of the sailors long gone down before it's like this intense mad poetry you know abandoned ship abandoned ship i cried all hope is lost you know it's fucking gnarly there's this not and when i'm singing the voice
1: uh. is just evil <laughs> you know it is this
2: the evilness of the guy straight that from the journal the guy at all costs will fuck over anybody mm-hmm. like the sailors like dude we're sailing off the fucking side of the world look if they were as far as, you know, and he's like, sail on, yeah. you know, sail on to India. And people are like, what the fuck are we doing? They you were know? like
0: three days away from killing him, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: So I'm writing, it's a good thing to write a song about, isn't yeah. it? But when I came up with the idea, I was like, this is the most ridiculous thing. And mm. they're sitting there, you know, in the song, getting ready to fucking chop him up, you know? Mm. So it's about the visionary uh-huh. and it's about, but it's also about, you know, one thing about The Visionary, and this is this was me in a nutshell, one thing about The Visionary, because I'm going to make my music even at the expense of my, I think on the one hand, I'm doing drugs mm-hmm. so that I can be a dad. Mm-hmm. Because, because the worst period of my life was before that, when I was insane trying to take care of them, mm-hmm. my wife and my kids. When I became a drug addict, it actually got so much better hmm. because it was no longer a point of time. I was no longer screaming, smashing things like I was as bad I was as crazy as she was
4: mm-hmm.
2: and I, I things settled way down. I'm not this don't try this at home kids because <laughs> later I had to pay the price later. but the visionary who at the at all costs, like I gotta I can't I've got to still do my music. yeah I can't like dude, go to your job, go home and go to fucking sleep. And be a normal person. No, can't do it. I have a recording studio. I must continue. It's like Columbus, you know. Must sail on. (laughs) We may die, yes. But, you know, and so. But you pressed forward. Yeah. And you. uh,
0: Hard to say, was that the price of.
2: Hey, got to the other side. Yeah. yeah, there was there was price. I mean, in some ways, things seemed to get better immediately. Mm. Uh, in some ways, no. I can't say what would have happened. I just didn't... Ha- I was out of options. Mm. I no longer knew. It was also like, instead of constantly trying to... Th- look, the 12-step program will say, stop trying to control the addict. You can't do it.
0: Mm.
2: You know, this was kind of the last trying to control the addict thing, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know. But things settled down. It. But was-
0: you found a... You seemed to
2: find a formula that worked so i finished i record all that stuff at home it's kind of like demos Mm -hmm. then i have these real recording studios and i'm like i'm going to take all these things i'm going to call it the drug years i'll put all this stuff together it's kind of like my great masterpiece that person Mm -hmm. that voice that insane period of my life is like this five hour thing Mm -hmm. because when i stopped Every the music that came after is different. It's a different guy, and the music that came before is a different guy. So put that all together in like this this one thing. So that shit was all going on at the same time as um as I can't remember actually what got me started on the oh oh I had been working on it and I was thinking I've been working on it. I've been sober for twenty years. Mm-hmm. And trying to kind of polish this up and make it like a finished thing. Finally, COVID happened and band camp. I have that camera. I was like, you know, you could fucking die tomorrow. You could fucking die tomorrow. Let it go. That's as good as it's going to get. Let it go. Make it available. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's, it's just this different world. We're kind of talking about this different world between the people, the people in Devo, Nick Cave, the people who achieve this success and they, they have to answer to their fans Mm -hmm. to a degree. And it's this dilemma. It's always this dilemma. And some people pander to their fans and some people challenge their fans. Mm-hmm. I don't have any fans. I have two. <laughs> I have a few. I don't have to worry about that. Uh-huh. In a sense, I feel like either I'm just a way lesser artist, and I've come to terms with that. It doesn't matter. But I I am an artist untainted by those issues.
0: So it's liberating. Yeah, ultimately I mean, liberating. Yeah,
2: every everything that's in there is none of it is there with those pressures. They're all urgent. They're all desperate. They're all life or death. Mm -hmm. There's none of the... I have a nice seven-album record deal. (laughs) You know, there's none of this... There's no security. Mm -hmm. It's all free fall. It's all when is the next emergency going to happen? You know? (laughs) (laughs) And this last record, the new one, it was finding out how to... I mean, when you've lived in that state of emergency for so long, mm-hmm. it's very hard to believe you're not still in it,
3: right? That is how, how you know when you're out of it, you
2: are hardwired. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then you get to this, Look, you saw the place when you walked in, this place is beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's a recording studio. It's, it's not like my house. I mean, it is my house though. I mean, it's also the business, but like, it's where I live, mm-hmm. but you go, now I finally, I finally have achieved something. I finally have something. I'm going to lose it. It was going to go away. I'm going to fuck it up. Something's going to go wrong, mm-hmm. you know? So, you just, so there's, you're just so hardwired to living in, in fear and precarity is the word. Yeah. living in precarity that. So, you know, so there's always this underlying, it's like, you it's know. like a subtle, subtle form of PTSD though. If yeah, you want to it say.
0: is. Yeah. It's absolutely that. Yeah. You're just constantly worried. It's that never ending anxiety yeah
2: so I you know which which is is a good thing because I really feel like when I don't feel that in the music there's I really believe that that inspiration I mean there's a few there's a few freaks that don't work that way there are freaks (laughs) like but I like Bach I don't know how Mozart I don't know how he's doing it Mm -hmm. him it's like he gets this formula you know I don't I don't know But there does seem like this crossing over where it goes from this shit really matters, for me, anyway. Mm -hmm. This shit really matters, and then, oh, you're just kind of going through the motions, you know. The fans are waiting, you know. Um, That's the cynical side talking, right? Well, I mean, it's to be avoided at all costs. Yeah. You know. um,
0: Do you feel an obligation at all to create, or is this... For you and not for, say, I don't know, the universe. Oh, I well. I feel like, I don't know, I wonder if we have an obligation to contribute to the. I diversity feel a of-
2: vast. I mean, I assume you kind of asked that question because you listened to that album. Mm-hmm. Yes, clearly. I feel a. Of, First of all, one of the things that probably built into that record is that um, I do not end at my skin. Mm-hmm. You know, that's another illusion. Yeah and you can't even see how connected connected we are and and I feel I think in that record one thing it's probably really clear that um, I've not only do I feel that we have a really important um, responsibility to each other mm-hmm. that records full of responsibility to the future mm-hmm. to people that aren't even born yet mm-hmm. you know like why is a person that's not been born more important than someone that's alive now. They're still the same importance if you don't believe in beginning and endings in the timeline. Mm -hmm. So I feel a vast, vast commitment to the future also. Um, uh, When I was in the Screamers, Mm -hmm. here's another one of those. You brought it up, not me. (laughs) This is, we 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 used to rehearse in this place called the Wilshire Fine Arts Center. Mm. And um, in the next room, whenever we'd practice, there was a guy. He had a guitar going through an amp, and he would just go song, 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 just strum his guitar mm-hmm. through an amp really loud for the whole time we were practicing oh. three or four hours nonstop.
0: It, it sounds intentional. Yeah
2: Oh it was, it was actually At first it was like That's the most insane And then slowly I was like Oh it's it's actually Incredibly beautiful It's sort of a Glenn Bronca thing Because what happens is Very slowly It goes out of tune mm-hmm. Very slowly The overtones shift So For the first 20 rehearsals I just thought That is the most insane That is And then later on I start going Oh that's actually I love him mm-hmm. But finally I asked the guy Wend- Wendell Who ran the place And I go what's going on with that guy (laughs) and he said oh that's the weatherman he controls the weather and I was like oh so on the one hand we all laugh (laughs) but some very tiny part of me when you said you have a responsibility in the universe, I some part of me does think that music is doing something because it's frequencies mm-hmm. vibrating, and vibrations never stop. And they go out and, and they repeat. And um, some part of me as a mystic thinks that um, that maybe the act of creating music does something invisible. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, a sense of responsibility. I'm like one thing that shocks me. Sh- like I'm not easily shocked. Mm-hmm. You could say a lot of things that you would think would shock me. And I'd be like, no, not shocking. <laughs> I mean, I don't, but something that just makes my jaw drop yeah. is when someone says, you know, I don't care. I'm going to be dead. You know, I don't care.
0: Oh, I, indifferent to the future. Uh, I don't or, care.
2: Yeah. I'll, I'll be dead. Have you ever heard someone say that? Yeah. I'll be dead.
0: Yeah. It shocks me. Yeah. Especially when they complain about future generation or the next generation. <laughs> the same, in the same breath. Same guy, right? Yeah. The same guy. It's like, oh, your generation is going to ruin this and that. And
2: but you don't
0: care. I thought. You
2: know? <laughs> I don't care. I'll be dead. I mean, there's a song in there. I say it perfectly clear. I, I had a person. They were. Just, I've known them since they were born. Mm. And they reached 14, and they declared themselves non-binary. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, I'm related to that person actually a person my age is like whoa what does that mean mm-hmm. are they going to transition what does that mean all these feelings you know is it okay mm-hmm. you know of course it's fucking okay you know but but i had to process it the song is called they mm-hmm. and then i thought god this is this is the younger generation going you fuckers have women have been screaming to get rid of this gender fucking judgments for 50 years. Mm-hmm. You, you pressed women for thousands of years. Women, f- you claim to give equal rights for another 50 or 60 years. You, you finally give them the vote 100 years ago. But the same shit, you know what? Done with it.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, maybe it's not their conscious saying it. Maybe it's their body saying it. Maybe it's a visceral thing. Don't, not gonna do Not not going to deal with it. Not going to go by your gender judgments at all. Yeah. Just it's over. Oh, you you see, cannot do it to me.
0: Well, it seems to be a mass realization that everything is made up.
2: It's all made up.
0: That we can do whatever we want. It's all and that's made up. Like there's something really terrifying about that. For but- old fucks. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you know what? And you know what I was i figuring I'm going through their thought processes, dealing with my fears, dealing with my judgments. I finally got to the point where I just said I can die because people like you will do it better than me. Mm. And I, and I believed it. I fucking believed it. You know, (laughs) I fucking believe that, you know, we get just a little better each generation, just a little. And maybe not happening, may not be happening fast enough. Yeah. But when the 15 year old says, fuck you and your 5,000 years of history. Yeah. I am not gonna fucking take it. I mean, and you know that's not an easy thing to do. No, it's becoming easier. It was like when we became punk rockers, dude. Yeah, it wasn't easy. I've had people chase me. How many things
0: were thrown at you?
2: Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, I had people chase me around Bronson Park. Me and KK chasing us around, calling us one of the few words that I won't won't say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I know yours. Yeah, you know. <laughs> And, and, and it was, you know, it was, um, words, but it's, and it's amazing to see it embraced, Mm -hmm. embraced in Atlanta and embraced in Bismarck, North Dakota. Mm -hmm. Every school, there's one punk rocker. Every school now there's some non-binary people just going, you know what? Fuck off. And you know what? People deal with it. At first they beat them up. First they threw their lunch at them Mm -hmm. and then they're like, you know, you're cool. That's what (laughs) always happens.
0: Happens every time.
2: You're cool. You're a rebel. Yeah. you're a badass. Mhm. It comes around. And there's the hope.
0: Yeah. There's that positive hope, the the non-toxic hope of of waiting for you know, dad we to come back from the city with change. food. Yeah. Here's the good one. You see you see the you know it's going to be good. You know it's going to work out. How could it not? People
1: are well, we it cannot, buying.
2: it cannot, if, um, it cannot because there's a capitalist system that is the way capitalism works is it requires economic growth mm-hmm. and economic growth is infinite. It re- that's how I had capitalism finally explained to me when I didn't study it in school, but capitalism works like, you know, when you, you have gold, you put it in the, bank. The bank gives you back money. And now there's twice as much money because there's the gold and the money. Mm-hmm. And then um, the bank loans it out. And now there's three times as much money. This starts out with just like one lump of gold. But yeah. through the system, by lending, there's the money grows. Increases. Yeah. It's artificial, but it grows. And then you pay back with interest. So it's required it's, it's nothing fucking evil about it mmm it's nothing funny. it's just a system it's actually wonderful but it requires infinite growth mm-hmm. on a finite planet so the reason it cannot work out is and you couple that together with training people to be consumers from the time they're born mm-hmm. to want things to throw things away Things to become obsolete and you are just rampantly consuming and you run out of time. So that's how it could not work. That's how you could not
0: be good. So what do you say to the people who just decide to check out?
2: Stop buying things? Yeah. I don't buy anything. You don't buy anything? No. Mm -hmm. My wife does. I don't. What can I say? I'm I'm not, I can't, I mean, this is the greatest relationship I ever, she is a person that is still a consumer. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, she wants to go on vacations. She, she wants bags and, you know, she wants to, I'm things. like a live in a white walls guy, <laughs> you know, and I wear one pair of shoes till they're gone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the shoe, this clothes I wear, my relatives give me for Christmas, <laughs> you know, it's just <laughs> like, um, but that's me. I, I, some part of me was left out. I lived outside of the country from fifth grade to seventh grade and Mm. I think the consumerism I missed some key socialization you know Um, so yeah everything and I don't have a car Mm. you know I mean the company has a car I have a car if I need it yeah you know but Um, you don't need
0: it say most of the time right very rarely you're pretty close to everything you need right here
2: yeah so I uh, I think um, and if everyone did that I don't eat meat Mm. I think meat is like a really, really bad energy efficient way to get food. Mm -hmm. Um, you notice the air conditioning is on, I'm not perfect. I've got some things, you know, like I, I still use air conditioning. Like I don't, it's not great, but, um, but some stuff.
0: I don't know. I always think of that line from, what was it in my eyes? Uh, minor threat. You 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 tell me that it makes no difference, but at least I'm fucking trying.
2: Yeah, I'm trying. Yeah, I'm trying, and um, I'm not certain that energy is actually the biggest the biggest issue because there's a lot of possible energy sources other than carbon. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of possible energy sources, I believe. Um, that could. I mean, I think you know innovations happen, and all of a sudden, what was a giant problem is is not a problem anymore. I don't know. Maybe it's all going to be solar panels. It's funny. You're t- we're talking about, well, solar, clean nuclear. Mm-hmm.
0: Nuclear um, batteries. I have some hope in that.
2: Yeah. Wave. I don't know. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, f- oh, waves. Uh, I
0: don't know. Like off offshore, they have those Possibly. I, yeah. I, don't,
2: I don't know. I'm not, I mean, we might not be. It might, I mean, I read somewhere, actually, Elon Musk said, you could power all of America with 100 square miles of, in um, the south of Arizona. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's what it takes? 100 square miles for the entire country?
0: Yeah, in a big patch of uninhabitable land.
2: When you say something like that, or when Bill Gates says he's working on using nuclear, I feel like, well, power is not necessarily, but having every square inch of Earth devoted to human consumption, Mm. that doesn't strike me as ideal that's when it gets dark right how do you feel
0: about expanding into the solar system though well like that's that's
2: musk's thing of back up the hard drive because extinction level he- events happen on earth yeah. with regularity mm-hmm. and you so you have to have uh, and and I've, i'm convinced that all the stuff he's doing and some of it's very ugly mm-hmm. Is, are you out of time? Oh no all, all, I think a lot of the stuff he's I think his single-minded goal Is to create that Mars colony Yeah And I think his, that is a p- Purely There's two things there That is purely for, uh, humanitarian To mm-hmm. save the world The fact that he would be The Jesus that saved the world <laughs> Can't hurt You know Is a kind of a cool thing Because he would be uh-huh. He would be the guy That saved the world Saved humanity Yeah He would be Iron Man he would be the guy if he was able to do that and there was an extinction level event.
0: He seems to be the one going in that direction. Well, yeah. I think he I don't w- think it's Bezos.
2: No, Bezos yeah. doesn't seem to be. I, no, I mean, I wish instead of competing big. they just joined
0: forces, you yeah. know. That'd just be. put all your money together, start and, send one and over.
2: I, I don't know enough about the, how realistic that is terraforming and any of that. I don't know. And I and, you know, I had a friend that was working for insurance companies and they were, he was from Dallas and he was waiting for they said, go to Los Angeles, set up offices there and get business because the big one's gonna hit and we're gonna make a lot of money. <laughs> and he's and he set up his offices there and he would like make just he's like, I'm just praying for the big one. Praying for the big one. You know. How dark. He was kidding. He was being funny. He's oh. a funny guy. Okay. But it was true <laughs> that if the big one hit, he'd make millions. But he was, yeah. um, But uh you know, Buck, you could go through all this stuff and you know, something else could, you know, it could never happen. Yeah. The distinction level, but I do think there's a good thing about the idea of frontiers, human imagination. Um, Oh my God, look at what we did. We set up a, we set up a um, colony on Mars. It's amazing. You know, how, how exciting, inspiring. Mm -hmm. I read a book by this great writer, Gene Wolfe. It's really interesting. He's sort of he's a sci-fi writer Mm -hmm. and um, it's distant future, way in the future. So far in the future that you can't even, there's no history it's collapsed and come back and collapse collapsed so many times. Mm-hmm. But one thing in this f- distant distant future, the moon's green interesting he just and he never explains it. He just goes, the green moon at some point one of the civilizations Whoa. terraformed it. uh-huh, it's all grass. Wow, it's all woods. Is't that a great yeah. idea?
0: That's so cool Because they say there may be I mean they go back with with ancient egypt uh, all these ancient empires that 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 rose and fell and they talk about how every year they find something new that sets the date back yeah i just wrote a, 10, i just read a,
2: a great book about this by a great writer um the same guy who started um um uh Occupy the Occupy movement. Oh, okay. Yeah, same guy Uh, His name should come to me and he wrote a book uh, with an archaeologist about hunter-gatherer societies Mm -hmm. and all the misconceptions how completely uh, everybody assumes that civilization started with agriculture Mm -hmm. and what the stuff that you they're finding what you're describing what you just brought up it's so funny because I just read this like huge thing about it. It's called the Dawn of Everything. Mm. For your, if you guys lo- want to look up the Dawn of Everything, you'll find the writer, um, Michael, and the, he founded the Occupy movement. But it's all these civilizations pre pre agriculture, and they built huge cities too. Mm. And then they had to feed the people and started having agriculture. And interesting stuff about uh, in American civilizations before. Like the idea of of freedom, and all the I- American ideals, right? Mm-hmm. So, if you think about it, Europe, fourteen ninety two. You have kings and popes. There's no such thing as freedom. Mm-hmm. It's not even a thing. Yeah, it's not even a thing. Yeah,
0: not a concept in not any form. Not even a thing.
2: Freedom. Yeah, you are owned by your king and yeah. you do what the fucking Pope tells you, period. Yeah. Don't this, you dare
0: kill that deer.
2: You do what Jesus and God tells you. Yeah. You follow God, mm-hmm. no freedom. They go to America, and they find these savages, mm-hmm. and there's some books written in the 1600s about the savages, and the savages going, you people, and they're com- kind of comedy books, but they're like, the no, the wise savage who like we don't like the way you guys run your things. We believe in freedom. Mm-hmm. We believe we don't believe in authoritarianism. We have leaders, but sometimes we don't do what they say. Yeah, this whole anarchist and you know liberal democratic society that existed in America mm-hmm. that then Europe those ideas started seeping in. Mm-hmm. You figures the guy that started occupying, and this is some <laughs> woke shit that's going to piss some people off. And I was like, is this real? But when you think about it, when you think about what was happening in Europe in 1500, mm-hmm. it's not a thing. Yeah. They had to make laws to not let the kings just kill anybody they wanted to. Yeah. They like put in laws like, actually, there's some restrictions on the king. He does pretty much own you, but... Yeah, but
0: also uh, we're not going to let you learn how to read.
2: Right. Yeah, but the idea that those that the ideas of freedom and all the stuff that we think are Western civilization, American, European, mm-hmm. and and then some of the people start. You have some European philosophers. I think Voltaire. Mm-hmm. Some, of, but it's interesting that these European philosophers, the Renaissance, it crops up right after these interactions
0: yeah right after. oh they they read some some journals right they read some uh, these stories that people were telling about these like, oh, we don't actually have we don't actually have Kings we have the
2: chief but we yeah. don't listen to him yeah <laughs> and he he doesn't always talk but you know sometimes we just hang out. they were talking about the clans like the, the how big was the hunter-gatherer societies right Like 150 people something like that well that's what you'd think Except, what is one thing about hunter-gatherers? They don't have cities. What do they do? Move they, around. Yes. So, how far do they travel? Well, they might travel from Canada to Louisiana. And when they would travel, let's say they were the Bear Clan, mm-hmm. there would be Bear Clan in all those places. Essentially, the hunter-gatherers land where they were communicating, mm-hmm. exchanging culture, telling the news was thousands of miles they were huge countries yeah and there was a lot of people in them yeah not set up it with a type of government we're familiar with Mm -hmm. a very different anarchist because he's an anarchist the guy that i'm sorry i can't remember his name he's an anarchist yeah you know and he's like going well actually there have been anarchists very large anarchist societies now he has an axe to grind. He definitely has a thing that he is pushing. But mm. it is a really enlightening book, The Dawn of Everything. It's great that you brought up because I just was
0: into it. The Dawn of Everything. I'm gonna look this up.
2: And so we're talking about consumer. There's a song on there called um, "A Shallow Shadow Complete," and that song started out as one of the hangover from a relationship. Mm. I put out this album, Six Twelve, which is a breakup album. I wrote it in one month. It was 2012. I put it. I did it. And I sort of slowly started writing the song. So Shallow Shadow is, one, is kind of the one song that's I was still recovering. <laughs> and um, and the first word is mine. Mm-hmm. Mine. And it was about how, they are, like, you know, when you have a relationship, she's yours, right? Mm-hmm. Try to possess them. There's this possession thing that we just, she's my girlfriend, my wife. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. There's this possession thing that goes on that's not too healthy for me. You know, and, how and I started t- talking about, so it starts out there, but the music, the way I did the music was, is was really interesting. I was like, I'm going to take sounds that are super soft. So like I have like, like this tobacco tin that I'm just barely touching with the tip of my finger, just super lightly yeah. with the mic really close. It sounds like, it sounds like a bunch of 300 pound guys smashing on drums with their with with giant mallets. <laughs> it sounds huge, right? It uh-huh. sounds just driving and big, but it's all tiny little sounds, But uh, which is just weird and freakish. <laughs> um, it's like a dance track, and it was all just done with, like, you could have whispered, and the whole room would have shaken, you know? Okay, the mic's so high. Yeah. But the song, like, I started with this word, mine, and then eventually just the whole thing questions the word, mine, and that questions, winds up questioning, possessing another person but it also starts questioning everything mm-hmm. possessing anything really which is a good old anarchist <laughs> possession is <laughs> thing now do i believe possession is theft it's one of those things i keep in my is ownership theft it's one of those things i keep in my mind at the same time as it's awesome to own things yeah i i keep them both in my mind i i i'm not trying to and i just i'm not trying to cause the french revolution <laughs> I, I i have to say that revolutions are bloody and afterwards you it's the same shit every time then yeah. the guys that just got done chopping everybody's head off are this if you're an asshole enough to chop everyone's head off you're an, and now you're in charge you're the same asshole yeah so i'm not trying to do that so i'm always just trying to like it, can we just like get smarter somehow? I, I don't know. Probably not.
0: That's a great argument for more minimalism, right? It's like just less action against people, you know, less less possession, less less negative <laughs> reactions to things. Or I actions mean, we have
2: a we have a problem with the design of the AI algorithms that um suggest to us in search engines. Um, what to watch mm-hmm. in, in and these are self learning algorithms and they've learned this themselves. And the idea is if you're on YouTube to keep you on YouTube mm-hmm. because YouTube, the reason YouTube exists, it's owned by Facebook. Is it Google I it's think. owned by Google. Yeah. How does Google make their money? You know, they sell information and how do we keep you on? And what the AI's found out was the more extreme, this content the more likely you are to click on and stay on longer oh yeah the more provocative The more provocative not the more true yeah not the more enlightening
0: yeah
2: not the more educational the more provocative
0: yeah just the things that just get your blood boiling it's not it's
2: it's not healthy yeah you know and there's it's one of those things it's hard to to figure out i mean these companies are profit driven and they're going to do what they're going to do and it's kind of making people crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, you got a shooting up of mental illness. If half of your population is mentally ill Mm -hmm. because they're watching YouTube. And I'm not saying they're saying, you're watching things on YouTube that I disagree with. That is not my point at all. They're watching things that are getting them into a state of being imbalanced. Yeah. I did on all sides.
0: Just getting riled up in, in any fashion, right? Ignoring reason. Yeah. at a certain point it's it's not based on rationality
2: over. necessarily i mean mm-hmm. sometimes it is but mm-hmm. the algorithms is not pumping you education so it's getting you now the good side of it all those people that want to overthrow the government and burn the whole world down and, and i'm talking both sides because believe me my <laughs> woke <laughs> friends want to burn it all too. my book my woke friends are all buying guns too <laughs> they are <laughs> to Everybody protect does, themselves yeah. from the crazy right people so yeah so um sorry I, I kind of lost my train of thought by, by being all inclusive mm-hmm. I was um, oh the, the advantage of it is yeah. the people that are so riled up and so angry they're so busy watching YouTube that they don't actually go out and do much <laughs> <laughs> my favorite thing was the protest that happened when Trump got thrown off Twitter mm. Trump was thrown off Twitter outrageous yeah. free speech and you know I mean this put the fucking nail in the guy's coffin really practically i mean he's gone gone on a slow decline since i mean
0: yeah you know it's a
2: big deal
0: yeah that was a huge hit
2: big deal yeah pro the protest at the twitter offices get everybody together and go to those twitter offices you know how many people showed up one <laughs> only one person showed <laughs> I up know that. <laughs> and i feel wow, like well there nice. that's the that's the flip side on the one side, it makes you super on your high horse. On the other side, it seems to make you very lazy and complacent and think that you're participating in activism by doing a hot tweet, you
0: know? Yeah. Well, that seems to be the most, I mean, maybe the most efficient way of, of protesting now is online. Arab Spring, you know, that worked out on all on Twitter and Facebook. Did it, though?
2: Right? Because it did in Well, I
0: don't know if it worked out, but it it. It functioned as a it, it, as a revolution a yeah. little bit, right?
2: Well, there's a there I've read some stuff about that stuff that those revolutions don't have long legs. Yeah. Because um uh it it did in that case get a lot of people out of the street. Mm. But um it didn't actually organize alternatives. Like I believe in Egypt, who wound up they what wound up happening in Egypt after the Arab Spring was a very uh religious i can't remember the name of the a very religious based um group oh yeah quite outrageous was voted in mm-hmm. at which point the military which we pay for i believe mm-hmm. stepped in and got rid of them so arab spring amazing filled my heart with joy mm-hmm. didn't actually succeed in changing anything
0: yeah you could argue it got worse especially in egypt right yeah. wasn't it Muslim Brotherhood that Muslim took Brotherhood. Over. Yeah. They were the ones who took over, right? And then and then the military got them, right?
2: And the military is who? The US. Thank you. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Unbelievable. Yeah.
0: Everything's a proxy war. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> or just an outright, you know, regime. regime I mean, at least change. we didn't
2: have to bomb them back into the Middle Ages to get to, to do it, but you know,
0: that's the scary argument that I keep hearing too, is that like the world is getting safer. There are less outright wars, you know, far less outright conflicts.
2: That's Steven Pinker. Yeah, but it's like,
0: it's still bad, you know. It's <laughs> instead of armies, we would
2: have like to SEAL read, Team do Six. Do you like to read history? Yeah. Remember the good old days in England <laughs> when they would just in the public square draw and quarter people, rip yeah. people, and and everybody would watch. Mm-hmm. It they was would, a thing. I mean that's that's pretty different. Yeah. That's pretty savage. Yeah. I mean they still kind of do it in certain places. They'll stone people to death yeah. in Afghanistan, countries we don't like. I hear mm-hmm. it Afghanistan. It doesn't I don't hear it happening as much though. I wonder. I don't hear. I mean the Taliban got Afghanistan back. I don't hear about public stonings now. That used to be a Taliban thing.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Now I'm not up on the news. You guys, let me know if the Taliban is stoning people to death left and right because it is kind of in their in their religion that if you're going to go strictly by the Quran, just mm. like strictly by the Christian Bible. There's a lot of things. We don't do that stuff.
0: Well, they take the most radical parts of it and run with it.
2: But, right. I, you know, yeah. But look, England was a savage fucking place. Yeah. I mean, I. I think the okay, so I think th- that Steven Pinker is right. Mm-hmm. I think things are way more peaceful. Mm-hmm. I really think they do. But I do think that one of the problems is that what we've built is fragile. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just saw a really disturbing article. Like, um, and you saw it with the global supply chain disruptions, like yeah. stuff like that. And that was kind of a mo- mild thing. But there's, I read this big article about sunspots every once in a while the 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 sun sends out these giant like sunspots. If they're directed at Earth, they send these intense magnetic waves. Really, mm-hmm. and you know, and it happens every hundred years or so. Yeah, like, no big deal. It doesn't you don't get cancer. Nothing happens. It does do one thing though. It um, it sends out magnetic. It it gets rid of all satellite, all electronic yeah. satellites. It stuff. fries everything. Fries everything. <laughs> That is terrifying.
0: Yeah, because <laughs> when the internet doesn't work for three days,
2: no, the internet wouldn't let work for a month. But it's not that. It's like a lot of things, like the water supply, mm. the electricity. It's all on the same yeah. stuff, the the grid. And from what I understand, is it's possible to do put in. And he said, "This it's really this article was really fucked up." Art. I don't know. You know, you read an article <laughs> in Wired, and what the fuck? Then your whole fucking worldview changes. All they need to do is put in capacitors. Mm-hmm. Capacitors. You install these capacitors, and the capacitor absorbs. What happens is the, the the electrical flare hits the hits the earth, and it goes up straight through our electrical grid because that's the easiest way. Blows everything out. But if you put in capacitors in all the electrical grids, no problem.
0: I don't know. That sounds like money.
2: Yep. <laughs> so, how much of it has been done?
0: Yeah. I heard they were None. talking about, like, they wanted to retrofit satellites with uh, gold sheeting because gold reflects that energy very efficiently. I hope they do something. It. because it would be so insanely expensive. I am You're basically just over. not
2: equipped to deal with, with the road warrior, Fury Road, you know? I mean, Kira worked um. on the soundtrack. <laughs> but, you know, as far as actually living it, I am just, I, I think I would be a casualty really quick. And, and I hope, you know... I hope all smart people are installing those capacitors, you know. <laughs> it's just so funny, though. You kind of la- always wait. To- I always figure, like I said earlier, like global warming, there's actually ways. I'm reading a book right now by Neil Stevenson, and the governments never get around to dealing with it. And there's fucking giant pigs, like, taking over Texas, and it's all <laughs> fucked up. You know, the sea level's coming up. Finally... There's this rich billionaire who lives in uh, Houston, and Houston is below sea level. Mm-hmm. So it's like he's got all this property, and his property's gonna be worthless. He's like, fuck it. So he starts, sh- he builds this giant gun and starts shooting sulfur in space that explodes, and the sulfur fucking blocks the rays and changes the fucking weather. Wow. I mean, it can be done, but it's not the government. The governments never fucking get around to it. Yeah. And the Queen of Holland is like, yeah, go ahead and do. The Queen of Holland is like, yeah, because Holland is below sea level. The below sea level people are fucked.
0: Yeah, so they're all curious. So about they're this like, tech. okay.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's, and that's that's not actually science fiction. This Neil Stevenson is very. Yeah. You actually can do stuff like that. Now it's called terraforming, and there is, there's a downside. You know, you start tampering with the global fucking. You know, who fucking knows? Yeah, what and, off.
0: and what's in the canon? What is this <laughs> stuff? Like, <laughs> it was are actually, we sure? It was about? actually
2: sulfur. But it's a chaotic system, and it just seems like it would be better to not do that. But, <laughs> there, you know, mm. I heard that the, 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 the cost of doing that sort of terraforming, someone made the estimate it would cost a trillion dollars, which mm. is, nowadays, a trillion dollars is no big deal.
0: I feel like that's attainable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: doable. But to not do it, the costs are, well...
0: Quintillions. The end. Yeah, Yeah. the end. Or just no money. We're all dead.
2: So, but, would it work? But, solar flares wiping out the grid? That sounds, that sounds... And I don't care how much it costs. Please, put in, put in the fucking capacitors. I'm begging you.
0: I was looking at bunkers just for fun, like the doomsday bunkers. Somebody's converting old missile silos in the Midwest to... Basically, luxury condos that are nuke proof and radiation proof and everything, and three million a pop. I'm like, that's obviously insane money, but like, wow.
2: It's not actually for you know, because nowadays, for the people that could afford that, that's like a good investment.
0: It's a very good investment, you know, it filters out radiation billionaires. in the air and it's deep enough <coughs> I mean, that it'll take those a same bomb. guys
2: have a 25 million dollar house in you know yeah. in the Hollywood Hills <laughs> yeah, so, so a 3 million dollar thing in, just in case mm-hmm. I'd f- they probably that same guy that buys the 3 million dollars you know could you make a bigger one for 10 million you know <laughs>
0: yeah how about a smaller one for less you know one for a couple so it filters of
2: out radiation it's sustainable it has yeah. in, it has unlimited electricity
0: uh yeah f- I think, I think hopefully they, I think air. they're hoping for air they have for sure so in the tanks, in, it, you know, underground, everything's self-sustaining underground. For how long? Uh, probably 40 years or something like that. Hoping. Oh, so that's
2: what they're thinking, like a 40-year thing. Yeah,
0: so it's like, it's super temporary. It's not, it's not a permanent solution, but I think long enough to, to wait out. The radiation, 40 years is a good floating long time. around the air, and mm-hmm. you
2: might even not, not even have to use the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> you might not even finish all the plants. You
2: know, there's yes. one line. There's one line in uh, a Quiet Night on the Moon Cam where I just said, "You worry about all the wrong things." Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> like you are worrying about nuclear war, and you worry about you know carbon emissions. And then you read about sunspots <laughs> <laughs> and you never had fucking given a, you know, colony, bee colony collapse without bees. Everything collapses. Yeah. You, know, you go through one after another worrying or, you know, your own personal safety. It's like, you know, every time you fucking get in the car, that's probably the most dangerous thing you do. You know? Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> I'm worried about the that's, risk that was probably assessment.
0: My favorite, uh, album or favorite song in the album. Quiet. night in the moon. Came. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. That one really, I, that's when it really took off. Like, I don't know. I felt re- rejuvenated by, it was, what is it? The eighth track, I think. Yeah. So it's like you're going through these ups and downs. And, and
2: that's one where my, f- that is, you know, God bless him. My friend said, we got to get Paul out of these piano ballads. <laughs> that's one of the songs where the guy brought in the drummer and bass player. Yeah. And he had, he had written the first two chords of it, just the first two chords. And I just, was on the spot, just wrote the whole thing, mm. then had to write words. And that took a month. And I remember, when I came up with the name of the song, I was like, this is going to piss him off. (laughs) It's going to piss him off. A quiet what? (laughs) But I was thinking about, you know, I know, actually, a lot of times I don't know what I'm inspired by, but I actually was inspired by two things at that time. One was this fucking song by Neil Young that I had never really heard in the 70s. It just went by me, it just, I don't know. And it's called, um, it's called uh, Cortez the Killer. Mm. And it's got this long intro. And I never, the song itself, but I was just listening to this two minute, three minute intro over and over again. It's like it doesn't even need anywhere. It's just like, whoa, so moody. And I was like, let's do that. Let's just like let it just just sit there a really long time. Be really boring <laughs> and just 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 no, don't go yet. Don't change yet. Don't change it. Just stay on it. stay on it. And that was that. And then I was re- listening to Bo Burnham. from mm. the comedian? Huh? The comedian? well he's a comedian but he's also a musician yeah 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 and he does a he does a HBO special called Inside that's fucking brilliant and there's a song in there and I remember most of the songs are kind of silly and they're comedic mm-hmm. but there was one song called um, and Phoebe Bridgers did a cover of it it's called um, uh, That Funny Feeling mm-hmm. and it's and I remember sitting up I'm watching the fucking the doc the doc which is great it's a great uh, one man show inside by Bo Burnham and he got to that song and it was funny, but he got to the song and I just remember just sitting up and I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's an incredible just song. I mean, it's got humor, but it's fucking dark grabbed you and, and, and then Phoebe Bridgers covered it and I was like, Oh, I wasn't the only person that heard that. Yeah. And the thing about that song is it, what it really told me was people under 30, how truly, um, pessimistic they are this deep pessimism I and mean, why wouldn't they be mm-hmm. fucking pandemic trump years you know uh economic fuck, you downturn. know, 911 is nine probably one of the first nine. things yeah. they remember big huge economic trough that happened and you know, he says a line in there 20,000 years of this seven more to go and you just <laughs> you just have this and i i and i just noticed that the younger people are, the more pessimistic they are. And I really have I consider pessimism to be somewhat self fulfilling. You have to be optimistic to to just go, yeah, we're gonna figure this out. We're mm-hmm. gonna figure it out. I don't know how, but we're gonna figure it out because you have the energy to do it. You're not a fucking you're realist, but you have to like hope for the I mean just think about incandescent light bulbs, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: How much energy was saved by changing all the incandescent light bulbs in America yeah. to LED? How much?
0: I I can't even imagine. I remember when it was resisted. People
2: were screaming bloody murder. The same assholes that say energy independence and, and you know, no solar power. Well then, okay. Think how much, I mean, so, so much can be accomplished. So I've always been committed to optimism, but I listened to that song and I I was like, eh, what if I wrote a pessimistic song? (laughs) Just go for it. You know, it's cooler. (laughs) It's so hard. David Foster Wallace talks about this. It's so hard to be positive positive. Because what's cool is edgy. What's cool is negative. It's Mm. so much cooler to have that nasty, bitchy stance. So, (laughs) so hard to not come off as sentimental and gloopy Mm
5: -hmm. and
2: lame assed if you don't just embrace that, you know, I'm cooler than you because I know how fucked up everything is. But to (laughs) me, that's very easy.
0: Yeah. Well, struggle is romanticized so much that that I mean, you can still struggle, but.
2: I mean we first we were what I gotta say the band Twisted Roots with Pat and Kira mm. it was one of the first positive punk bands and, and there was this whole movement and it wasn't even happening in literature literature was still postmodernism, super stancy and negative and and, and you know cynical super cyn- if you weren't cynical you didn't even count mm-hmm. you know and, and Twisted Roots was like okay well we did that germs we were badass screamers Our friend died and my band broke up. We got we have nothing. It was Mm. they were great, but but you know that didn't work. Yeah. You you so we're gonna just we're gonna and we're fucking nine we're twenty years old we're nineteen years old we're kids you know and we we embrace this silliness you know which I couldn't do now but (laughs) um, but it was it was philosophically just like isn't there an alternative to pessimism Mm -hmm. can you do it is it possible to make art that's still is it possibly cool and not do that without and still have like all the edge we're talking about is it possible you know it's not easy you think that's what frank zappa did a lot frank zappa is (laughs) unrelentingly negative and sarcastic and and never a glimmer i think that's his great flaw Mm. And I love Zappa.
0: I feel like he balanced it with humor, though.
2: I mean, it, he's wasn't funny, but funny. he's always laughing yeah. at somebody. Yeah, he's always true. laughing yeah. at somebody in a cool. He's, he's vicious, yeah. and I'm, dude. I'm a huge Zappa fan. Mm-hmm. But and you know, it's the same. It's the same with Eno. I'm a huge. I'm I'm as big a fan of as, of Eno and Zappa as just about anybody. Mm-hmm. Neither one of them dared to to be vulnerable. Mm. And to go to where an Elliot Smith or a Connor Oberst or some of these, you know, even John Lennon, you know, some of these people who really dared to go, look, I don't know, I have all the answers. And sometimes I hurt, you know, they just never do it. And that's that gesture of saying, I don't have all the answers. And sometimes I'm hurt, but we are in this together. Mm-hmm. You know, you've been there, you know what that feels like. And there's many ways to, to, to say, I think it's a really, I feel like it's an essential component, but, Maybe it isn't. Maybe that's just one other component that speaks to me, mm. you know, speaks to me.
0: I feel like Brian Eno did do that with his, uh, his ambient work. Although that ambient series was really,
2: it's nonverbal.
0: Yeah, but it was so sure gutturally like,
2: sure, sad, no, nonverbal. You know? <laughs> I think, yeah, you, you know, it's tough to do it with words. Words yeah. are hard.
0: I can't imagine what you would say to those words you say over that, you know, well, music.
2: You know, when he was writing words, mm. he was doing a lot of stuff with random, cutting up of stuff, and they're great. They're very colorful. There's a lot. They're very a lot of imagery, but they're almost all silly, and mm. they don't try to say too much. They 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 all occasionally seem to say things almost accidentally, like an AI does. <laughs> you know, um, babies on fire. Yeah, uh-huh. like you know, better throw it in the water. <laughs> you know, like you know, they're they're sort of random and funny. Yeah. And great. They're great. But he did not um and Bowie Bowie that makes a, a real effort to always be removed, but his sentimentality cocaine helped him have that stance. Mm-hmm. But um you can always his humanity is always poking through. He was a hippie before, you know, his first That uh, space oddi record. He's super sincere, Mm. and he's super, and he's always um, not always, but that his all of his facades and images always seem to crack, and you see this frequently. You see this uh, this um, alive, breathing human being Mm. that that hurts. Yeah, you know,
0: like he tried to resemble an alien entity, rock
2: and roll suicide, Mm. or you, you take Ziggy, which is the ultimate. Stance. I'm removed from the subject matter, and I am telling a story. Mm-hmm. The very first song, Five Years. Mm-hmm. There's this deep human compassion. You know, the 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 images of seeing a a you know queer throwing up at a cop. You know, mm-hmm. all that stuff is so. You know, that there's it takes a real humanity to see that those images. Yeah, and rock and roll suicide at the end, also. You know fixing your eye to the wheels of a Cadillac there's like this e- so i feel like Bowie does even though he's trying not to <laughs> his the cracks of his humanity always were like the essential thing all the brilliance and gr- is great but i have to feel something de- and and uh even like Mick Jagger man even Mick Jagger who is like the most seems the most like he's not even trying i think it's a case of Keith Richards who is channeling these fucking deep emotional experiences and Mick Jagger has to write words to him (laughs) and every once in a while Uh that music took person Mick like Mick Jagger who is not interested at all (laughs) in revealing himself or anything Uh but the music is like coaxes it out of him and he says something really beautiful you know again almost against his intention seems like it's always music first Right. helps and, yeah helps yeah now Dylan Dylan's another one it's like he's um, his words are coming first mm. and he's just fighting some simple folk thing to it yeah and, and he's a guy that's trying to stand away and not be too but he can't help it you know he can't help it he reveals he's sitting there from his stance and suddenly he says something with such a deep humanity and it's not like like a rolling stone right the guy is the guy's pissed off Mm. he's pissed off either at a girl either at a girl or whoever he's pissed at and he's and he's he's showing it you know he's showing it and i i really i love i love when people really just show their insides rather than design something you know that that can be amazing
0: and he's a great example of that too because he got just more complex over time, right? He,
2: I mean, he when he wrote "My Back Pages," you know, that's a song. Which clubs look? You all hail me as the voice of the generation. I don't even know shit about politics. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what I'm talking about here. Yeah. You know, I I was so much, so sure of myself and so full of myself. I was 20 years old, mm-hmm. and you know what? I'm not your fucking hero. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just I'm I'm not that guy. You know? Yeah. Fucking good for you, dude. Yeah. How honest. (laughs) How fucking honest. You know? I I wonder how many people felt betrayed by that. How can you be betrayed? And you know, the birds, you know, Bob Dylan never had a hit Mm. for the first five years all of his hits were people doing covers of him because he sounds so brutal, you know? (laughs) So, but, but he was so fucking such wisdom. Peter, Paul, Mary hit after hit, after hit doing covers of him. And then the birds Mm. like three hits, huge hits. And one of them was my back pages, Mm. you know, and just saying, I mean, a song about not being so fucking sure of your own opinions. Mm. And I was wrong. I mean, that is, that's a, what a beautiful moment. It's
0: brutal self-realization and honesty.
2: And and it's a tough thing to realize, but when you just nail it mm-hmm. and you knock it out of the park and you're not feeling preached to, you're just feeling like, wow, dude, I love you for, for this. Yeah. You're fucking Bob Dylan. Yeah. You could just ride the gravy train. You could just <laughs> accept the Grammys. You could just go up there and I want to thank my blah, 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 blah and just be that fucking asshole. Yeah. But you, you're not. You know? He's
0: one of those people you look at you are like how lucky are we yeah you know, yeah like, i mean here you know he wrote that
2: 20-minute song about the kennedy assassination is mm. 80 years old and i i was like well i mean i'm a huge dylan fan no i haven't been but i'm a huge dylan fan of the 60s and a little bit of the 70s but you know he lost me for sure mm-hmm. so i said i'm gonna listen to it it's a 20-minute song i'm a big freak for 20-minute songs <laughs> i mean it must be good you know and yeah and it starts out and he's talking about dealey plaza and i'm like oh god <laughs> and then he fucking gets on a roll. And what he starts doing is he talk. it's called a murder most foul. Mm. He starts talking about the music that he loved growing up. Mm. And he gets on this Dylan role of saying this band and this, th- this song and this band and this song. And he just names band after band and song after song. And it's just the most beautiful poetry because of course, just the name of a song has mm. a beautiful, you know every line of that there's so much subtext below the line if you've heard the song mm-hmm. then you, that's evoked when you first when who you were when you heard it mm-hmm. but even just the the words and the poetry just song name of the band name of the, eric burden and the animals you know the cranberries whatever you know i didn't know know who they were who he said but he just says it for 10 minutes he just goes on he just go down this and I'm like, this 80-year-old motherfucker just did it again. Just when you think, like... And I've seen him live three times, and I was bummed each time. I felt like I'd Aww. been... I just felt like <laughs> i just been, like... No, my favorite shows were never my favorite bands. Mm. There was never Bowie. Saw him twice. Not good. Saw The Cure. Damn. Rose Bowl. Swore I'd never go to another stadium ever again. <laughs> but... You go into the whiskey and you see Captain Beefheart. You go into uh, the whiskey and you see Black Flag. Or uh, And then shows, you know, you go into the whiskey, 300 seats, no seats, 300 capacity and you mm. see Bad Brains. Mm. Yeah. And you know you have seen a fucking show. Yeah. You know, not like there's a guy, Queen, there they are. They're playing all the hits. It's great. mm no, you see you like you see Public Image the first time they came to America mm-hmm. playing the metal box and they do pop tones and albatross and no it's music nobody's ever heard before and the whole thing and everybody's there to see the Sex Pistols and they do albatross and it's just like uh, incredible, and and then shows like I never expected were good. Like I had seen Susie Banshee's eh, it was okay. <laughs> I went, I got free tickets to do the Greek, and it was the Peekaboo tour, and it was so beautiful, mm. it was so stunning, it was so different from everybody else. It was like wow, artistic and really moving. And um, the last time that happened to me when I went to a show, you know, I um I never got Nick Cave, I never got I always would listen to her, like it. I should love this
0: he's one of those I wish I loved it should be yeah. so
2: great the the poetry of it and what he's saying it's incredible but I just never get it yeah so I went to the so my wife Nick she they, play, she played Nick Cave at our wedding
3: uh-huh.
2: took me got tickets to the forum the <laughs> forum up. I saw Nirvana in the forum and it wasn't even good it's... you know but we're up standing there up close exhausting dude I don't know what he did but it was unbelievable Mm -hmm. and I'm fucking will never, I mentioned him earlier, nothing but respect. There's a documentary about right after his, right after his son was killed and he was supposed to go into the studio and make a record (sighs) and his son had just died. Yeah. But he went in and made the record and the way they make the records is they don't don't go in with the songs written. He kind of, he kind of writes them in there Mm -hmm. and it is so hard to watch and it is so courageous so moving, mm. such an incredible work of art. I don't even know if he succeeded in making a good record. Who cares? The movie is just a, a stunning, like, uh, moment in time. You know. Well, when you see how much,
0: God, how much heartbreak he's gone through. Another one of his sons just died. Yeah. His other son just yeah. died. Right.
2: Well, it's he has like, he has Jesus. one. That yeah. son was from an earlier marriage, and that son was mentally ill Mm -hmm. and was had been going through a lot of bad stuff already. So he was already going through a lot of suffering with that son, but yeah, the grief, I mean, yeah, my heart goes out to him. Yeah. But I feel like that guy, you know, I feel like if there's a spokesperson, you know, right now and, you know, musicians aren't spokespeople anymore. They were years ago and Mm -hmm. they are less so, but, um, uh, he never fails to read something that is that he wrote that was so wise, Mm. you know? So, and yes, the same thing happened to me that, that people tell you, like, I didn't even really know what he was, the songs. I just knew that, um, I was in the presence of something really special and important. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You just feel it. Like it's just as primal as that, or it can be as primal. As yeah. That.
2: The, the, you know, every once in a while, you know, it'd come down I'd be soft. It would get so fucking loud. And I'd be like, what is making all that noise? <laughs> And like there's a guitar a bass and a drums and a guy hitting tambourine mm-hmm. and it just sounds like huge you know mm-hmm. and and uh
0: and you try not to deconstruct it right you don't like well oh, i can producer. i can see everything he's yeah i'm a producer
2: <laughs> right. I, i'm analyzing stuff yeah but i'm uh, my favorite thing as an artist and the thing is is when i just shake my head and go how did they do that mm-hmm. how did they do it how did they do it? how, it's how magic, right? did dylan Write all those fucking songs in the sixties. How did he do it? Mm-hmm. I mean, and he even as I've read interviews with me when he said, "I don't know how I did it. I couldn't do it now." Mm-hmm. Another great wow. moment, you know. And it was he felt sad. I was just channeling, you know. You we use that word channeling as if the words were coming through me, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. From where?
2: Huh, the zeitgeist and the culture. Mm-hmm. You know, you're tapped in. You know, I, I always feel like the people that are deliberately trying to do that are the people that are pandering. Mm. And then there are people that are just being themselves and but they absorb what's happening around them and they're just being themselves and it comes out. And, and when you
0: look closely, you can see how rare that actually is. Right? You can when, see what? How rare that actually is, I think, that that people are being truly honest and like you said, uh, pandering, not pandering.
2: I think. Right? I mean, I can't say. You know, someone sent me, people sent me music to check out, and people sent me a song by an artist whose name I'd heard a million times, I would give the time of day to. And his name was Kendrick Lamar. Mm. And I was like, oh, yeah, isn't wow. this guy who played the Super Bowl? How good could it be? <laughs> he sent it, me a isn't? song called um, How Much a Dollar Cost.
3: Mm.
2: It was fucking incredible. Yeah. It was incredible. It was. So- It was him. He's pumping gas and some guy comes up and tries to catch a buck off of him. Uh And he's like all the things that go through your mind. Like, get a fucking job. I work for a living, you know, all this shit. And, you know, at the end of the song, you know, the guy is God. Yeah. How much would it have cost you to give the guy a fucking (laughs) dollar? And um, so I'm continuously humbled. Yeah. Like when we say there's not much of that out there. I mean, I miss it. Yeah. Uh, you have to be present. Like I have fans that love the Smiths, mm-hmm. love them. And I've tried and I don't get it. I have fans that lo- I have friends that love Lady Gaga, mm-hmm. love her. You know, I'm, I don't get it. it mm-hmm. I haven't caught it, but that's let me make that really clear that that is not because it's not there. Oh yeah. It's, it's because I, was and I won't even say I'm too old because I'm still capable mm. of discovering a major art I mean fucking Billie Eilish she did that song. What's the song in the video? It's just her in a room and the and the black stuff comes out of her eyes. It's called is it ocean eyes? No it's called yeah. party something about um, It's something about party all the parties are um, She she starts crying and it's black. She drinks mm. this black stuff. She's kill, committing suicide uh-huh. Um and that song, I like, I, I can't listen to every Billie Eilish song, but that song do not talk shit about Billie Eilish to right. me. Yeah. This is a fucking 18 year old that just with her brother in her fucking bedroom that just made something. that's, that's incredible. Yeah. You know, and now maybe a lot of the stuff she is, she is bad, but I don't, I don't know. I think she's, she doesn't want every song to be like that. And she's, She's experimenting, you know. It's like, Mm. well, I wonder if this will work, and I wonder if this will work, and oh, we've got to write. They've asked us to write a song for the James Bond movie. Mm -hmm. You know, let's give it a shot. And then some fucking somebody came out. Oh no, this was different. This was Elton John talking about uh, someone, Lady Gaga, I think, and he said that her song for the Bond movie was terrible. (laughs) I don't know if I don't know if, but you know, if someone came to me and said, Hey, will you write a song for the James Bond movie, I would take it as. Like, I don't know if I could do it, but it's a a creative challenge, an experiment. And when you're Billie Eilish, those challenges come. Yeah. They come. They're offered. They're put on the table. Will you do it? Sure. We'll pay you a million dollars. That's part of it. But if you can stay, I heard that Radiohead, when they went on tour, they don't talk to anyone for the whole tour. Hmm. They don't talk to any press. They do the full rock star thing where they are in a complete bubble. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the one thing, Dan, was just like how pretentious and how, you know, how entitled, all those things. Yeah. Then the other way of looking at it is to expose yourself to all the horrors of that bullshit mm. of the fan worship and the record company schmoozing mm. and the just filthy, you know, you know, and to just say, look, we can't do that and deliver this music that for us is important Yeah, and is heartfelt and matters to us.
0: Yeah. They have no time for the non art things.
2: Can't, can't do it. We will become, we will not be being true. Mm. So they have to do something completely star ish to not be complete rock stars. Oh yeah. You know,
0: more to that point too. They used to clean up, uh, their dressing rooms after touring, like fellow touring bands, would trash them. Right, and like they would just—they're they like, we're not—we're not part of this. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, uh, and on the, the flip side of that was Trent Reznor, who, um, when he first came out, I thought his first couple records—I mean, partly just—he's brilliant, mm-hmm. really brilliant. He still does brilliant work, movie soundtracks. He does brilliant stuff. Yeah, um, and he produced one of my favorite records, the Prick record, but. um we, I was in Prick and we were um, opening, we did some shows opening for him. And he would be on stage, he'd be being Trent, he'd throw fucking mic stands, just <laughs> and just like being Trent. And we'd go backstage and there would be a meet and greet where all the radio station people and all the promo people and the record company people in that city would all be backstage. Yeah. And Trent, after throwing a mic stand on stage, would work the room. <laughs> and he would just go to every single person he'd have a smile on his face he'd give him a hug and he'd be and I was just like like people are just different Yeah, people are just different and um, I mean I, Trent he got a drug problem he got sober I have got love and respect for him but I watched that and I at the time I was in, that was the 90s I was in my dark face mm. and I thought he was I thought it was real bullshit maybe it's bullshit but what was it for me to fucking say but he was the opposite he was just turning it on and off Mm -hmm. you know like it's so biz you know (laughs) make him laugh (laughs) i don't know
0: he he just understood the game
2: he well he could play the game yeah tom york will tell you i can't do it yeah tom york's probably a genuinely introverted you know, person that mm. that's incredibly intensely painful for
1: him.
0: Yeah. I remember he was in some interview where I, they were really holding his feet to the fire about something. And he's like, I I'm not answering those questions. And they're like, well, why not? Why not? I forgot what the question was, but he's like, this is what I talked about before. I'm not going to do interviews again. If this keeps going on, I'm like, well, who's not going to do interviews? Oh, what were the he's going to? I don't remember. I'll, I'll send it to you. Look, this is the same. <laughs> this
2: is the same guy that put his album out for free. Yeah, they were the first to do yeah. that. Yeah, you know, it was I like mean,
0: five dollars suggested, and then they ended up making more money from that than what was the previous one, uh, Hail to the Thief,
2: which kind of kind of ruins it. But
1: still, <laughs> still, you know,
0: I don't know. I I think it, it it speaks more to the. I mean, just the appreciation of the. They were right. You know, I mean, he was right.
2: They have done a few pieces of music. And there's a lot that are not, but you know, I'm and this, you know, someone, when I do these interviews, everybody goes, well, what do you want people to take away from your record? And it's just like, (laughs) that's a tough question. But, but I do know that when we make, when I I make records with so many people, you Mm. know, and I sometimes I'll get a text from somebody and they'll be like, I'm listening to what we recorded over and over. And that's the thing that happens when we when we have this creative process, mm-hmm. and we reach a point, and we're and we're just like, wait, I gotta hear that again. It was yeah. just a loop. We've we like we did we nailed it. It's not that it's so great; it's that it's exactly what I like. Yeah, it is exactly what I like. And just I'm just playing it over and over. And, and other people sometimes they'll send me that text, and that is a state of
1: bliss. Mm-hmm.
2: That is a state of it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. It doesn't matter, it is like it is like the best drug. It's like sex or mm. drug. It's those few things where you are out of your body and you're feeling such a joy, such joy. And like, I think Fake Plastic Trees at one point was one of those songs. I listened to that song, like I don't even know what he's saying but exactly, but the fucking feeling that they achieve in that song and a couple other ones. Just like, wait a minute. And that, that Chesky song I was talking about, um, 20, 2021, I think it's called. Uh-huh. Um, I, it's like eight minutes long, it got to the end, and I was like, what? I have to hear that again. <laughs> you know, And and that song, um, that song, and sometimes it's not, oh, I got the message. I mean, the Chesky song, there are so many messages that it's unrelenting. The, the final message is, You know, you are free when you're born, and then you're never free again. You're not free. You're not free. Don't talk about freedom. Mm -hmm. There is no freedom. You are taught by your parents, by your schools, by your society, and you're molded. And all these people out there doing all this stuff that you hate, Mm -hmm. they're not free. You know, and
1: it's all an illusion.
2: It's you are, you can strive for freedom, you Mm -hmm. can hope for freedom, but, you know, agency. I mean, even on a, even on a mystical psychological level, agency is, is dubious. It's not for sure we have any agency, mm. but, um, even aside from that, we're born into this, into this culture. And we start adapting to the culture from the moment we're born, Yeah, you know, and to write a song like that for nine minutes that just hammers it in. And <clears throat> and it was the same with that Bo Burnham song. Um, so I mean, and I think that's, Every person that makes music's goal probably is like they finish the record and they're like, "Damn,
1: <laughs> listen to that! Wow,
2: whoa!" And then if you could, if someone else could have that moment yeah. of bliss, you have given them something. You've given them bliss. It's like you just gave them a fucking shot of heroin with no downside.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know? and that's the magic of music. It's a and and musicians and art artists in general, but music especially it's like you broke that you broke out of that oppression
2: i guess you got you got released from your cares you know and and if the songs are about something i mean you know, there's one song there seemed like a good idea at the time mm-hmm. and it's it's fucked up, but I still got to the, I still, when I finished that song, I listened to it over and over. I still got to that state and it's sad. Mm -hmm. You know, it's basically like it's people, it's like someone in the future going, why did you guys do this? Mm -hmm. Why did you do it? Why did you ruin the whole planet? You know, hundred years, thousands, whenever it is. Yeah. And what would you say to that person? (laughs) (laughs) What could you say? (laughs) You know, why, i'm shrugging you know, my shoulders because why did you let all the species get extinct why yeah. did you wipe out and you know i just say well you know at the time i wanted my my coffee in the morning seemed more urgent yeah <laughs> i needed my coffee what i that line when i found out i went to the zoo which a lot of what vegan people hate zoos but modern zoos actually do a lot the, the sandy zoo do an incredible amount to try to keep species from going extinct mm-hmm. and also to protect habitat
0: yeah it's a an ironic thing that they, they're, they're trying they're yeah. they have woke up yeah
2: so at least they claim to be mm, so not circuses so <laughs> the guy that go this is a this is a black jaguar and mm-hmm. uh, basically their entire um habitat is being wiped out mm-hmm. f- because of coffee growers oh and i said what makes, I, I drink yeah. quite a lot of coffee he goes yep and I go well, what can you what can you do they well, go, there's something called shade-grown coffee. And I go, there is? <laughs> I never even heard of this. Mm-hmm. And it seemed urgent to change that. You know? Yeah.
0: Once it, you become aware, now you're responsible.
2: Yeah. And so I started ordering shade-grown coffee online. Like, And then I, I have some very um, politically aware people that say, the individual decision-making does nothing. Corporations have to do this. And I'm like, you know what? That seems to me you're letting people off the hook. Is if every single person that goes to a McDonald's, because they know, or not, maybe not McDonald's, I don't know if they have them, but if Burger King mm-hmm. gets the vegan burger, the vegetarian burger instead of the other one. Every person, and they're getting all these fucking meat burgers that nobody's fucking buying them. Yeah. And if nobody will buy this coffee that is grown in those places, and all the, then the corporations will either a go out of business mm-hmm. because they don't adapt fast enough. And yeah, my individual decision making doesn't do anything. I, I get that. And yes, corporations could make this shit happen a lot faster for sure. Yeah. The corporations are in a bind because if they don't show profit, they go out of business yeah. and uh, they're, they're a little bit stuck. Yeah. So other, um,
0: or, or they collapse and that's
2: someone said to me, all these changes have to be top down and I disagree. I think all the changes have to be from both sides simultaneously. Oh, for sure. You know, if the corporate say, wait, we're all going to go vegan now. And you guys, everybody's going to go fuck you. Too But soon. if both sides do it, at least you push. And all it is is like push back Armageddon 10 years, mm-hmm. 10 years. Because you know what happens starting in 2100? The population starts declining. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, there's a hope there. Just keep push back. Yeah. LED lights.
0: <laughs> Hopefully not because it's too hot to Vegan live. Vegan burgers. Yeah. Just,
2: just, you know. <laughs> they can just jet sulfur into this.
0: I, I'm going to look into that. I'm really curious to see what they're There's pumping a couple different things.
2: Yeah, it's called, look up terraforming. Mm. Terraforming Earth.
0: Mm. It's no big deal. Have you heard the expression? Have <laughs> <laughs> you heard the expression the snowflake isn't responsible for the avalanche? or the snowflake doesn't feel responsible for the avalanche something like that no but it's
2: like a it, it doesn't feel yeah i mean that's two different meanings
0: right yeah and i can not remember which one it actually is so take them both and yeah. you know uh you know absorb them both i think uh the idea of like i can't individually do anything it's so pessimistic you know it's like just try it's you know <laughs> it's someone very else convenient. will see you do it it's like
2: then, it's like the guy um when he borrows money from you and he pays, he borrow a hundred bucks he pays you and he goes, here's the money I owe you. And it's, it's four twenties instead of five.
4: Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's like, and he's like, Oh, sorry. Yeah. But it's always in their favor. Yeah. You know? So yes, it, it is convenient. <laughs> it's very convenient for me not have to change my behaviors.
3: Yeah.
2: It is that, that would be nice. Yeah. Um, and to say that it's, you know, late stage capitalism and to say it's corporation, but you know, corporations exist to fulfill your needs and desires.
0: They continue to to exist because of us. I
2: mean, I and and the other thing is to act like like the people, the billionaires and the people running these things are not human beings like you because they're astonishingly like you mm-hmm. in so many ways. And yes, power corrupts and money corrupts, but but people are not irredeemable. You know, I right. think Bill Gates viciously went after wealth for most of his life. And at a certain point of his life, he's like, I'm the richest man in the world. What fucking does it give me? Mm-hmm. I keep, what, I buy a bigger house? And he said, you know what? I don't want to be remembered as the richest man in the world. I want to be remembered as a man that did something, mm-hmm. f- something. I think he had that. I think he did, and, and I, you know, a lo- I have a lot of friends that do not like me defending billionaires. <laughs> but they're people. Yeah. They're young people that go for it. They succeed. They're brilliant. They have the most success. They're going. They're all in. Mm-hmm. to. They're bought into the culture. The person with the most toys wins. They're all in. Yeah. So, but they're human beings. And at a certain point, a human being go, what am I going to do with it? Yeah. Am I going to just, you know? And this guy, from what I understand, he's not leaving it to his kids.
0: Yeah, he's, he's letting it just... Spread back I mean, his out, kids right? are going to be fine. Yeah.
2: His kids are going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. But he is, um, you know, and he's spending billions of dollars on stuff that doesn't even work. Because that's what you have to do. That's science. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Trial
2: and error. You have forever. to try shit. Yeah. And if it comes from the government all the time, you've got people screaming, like, why are you spending our hard-earned tax dollars on this? It didn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, at least a military budget we know will work. You know, <laughs> but so I mean, <laughs> it's very uncomfortable for me because I'm at heart. I mean, I'm I'm always I've never been rich. I'm always aligned with the underdog. I'm under, and I think conspicuous consumption is 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 hideous mm-hmm. and insulting. And the idea that you you have a ten thousand dollar purse and that money could change a person's life. Mm -hmm. I I just feel like it's unforgivable. Yeah. It's like
0: everyone's definition of walking around money. (laughs) It gets really, uh, uncomfortable really fast. But
2: I think (laughs) hating everyone and sticking your middle finger out at people, you know, and, and blaming other people. And, um, I just, I feel like, you know, it's banding together, even banding together with a billionaire. If such a thing could happen Mm -hmm. is, is how things, you know, I mean, I know these libertarians. I can't disagree with them completely because uh, I've made the mistake. I've made the mistake of thinking what the government is doing is the worst. You know, I grew up in the Cold War. Mm-hmm. The government decided they were going to make millions of nuclear bombs mm-hmm. to point at each other.
0: Yeah, with your money.
2: And I thought it was the worst thing of all time. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, up until they did that, Europe was at war constantly. Mm-hmm. One fucking war after another. But if you go before World War Two and World War One, and you go in the nineteenth century, and the eighteenth century, I mean, Holland had an eighty-year war with Spain, and and England had a thirty-year war with. I mean, they were at war all the fucking time. Fuckers stopped killing each other. Yeah,
0: it got real. <laughs> it got more real than anything. So than it ever
2: had been. I was kind of like. It's kind of like, I mean, it's not ideal. <laughs> it's not fucking ideal, but that was called détente, and in theory, it it worked. Uh, I remember being so outraged. I remember like Ronald Reagan closed all the mental institutions, mm-hmm. and I was like all in. That asshole throwing all these fucking mentally ill people out of the streets. And there was this mentally ill guy that worked the door at a rehearsal place, mm-hmm. and he. I, I, every time we would go to practice he would let us in and we'd, I'd talk to him mm-hmm. and, um, and I would go uh, Reagan through his, uh, yeah. he goes I am so much happier living on the street compared to living in those places and I thought to myself wait a minute what is a mental institution what do we know about mental institutions what are the stories about mental institutions yeah. they're horrible they're prisons are horrible yeah. they're abused I mean uh, rapes abuse uh and even at their best mm-hmm. and it's a tough job by the way i'm not going to put all the blame it's a oh, tough course, job yeah. that's my wife's job. I was working with mentally op it's a tough job but they were horrible mm-hmm. and and i didn't now ronald reagan when they closed those prisons the idea was that there would be facilities which never materialized so it's it's fucked up yeah i'm only talking about that moment where you think about things a certain way and you are certain and you're positive, mm-hmm. and then you are offered an alternative way of thinking. And the reason I keep talking about this is, all day long I watch people. I'm not all day long. I'm not. I'm addicted to my phone, but I'm not that <laughs> much. But I see people screaming at each other, and they they're positive, and they know the answer to everything. Yeah. And there's no room for. There's not even room for compassion for someone else's opinion if it's. Go, You know? Yeah. I mean, the people that really believe in socialism and are anti-abortion, they consider um, property as theft and a woman's right over her body. A person on the other side sees the taking of their money Mm -hmm. as the most authoritarian thing that a government could do. Mm -hmm. I kind of get that. I earn this money and the government's going to take it away. I understand it. And they will say it doesn't actually work, they will say. Yeah. And I can point to different countries where it does work and I can say, "Well, we do it anyway." And I can go through this. But I don't, I I had to I don't and this is what I love about big data. We now actually if you keep accepting cookies (laughs) (laughs) and they sell your information we actually can know the answer to some of these things
0: yeah there is a there's definitely a positive to that
2: there's a possibility we actually have data
0: yeah i heard some psychologists i think saying that facebook has so much data on human behavior just from collecting everything and watching and google yeah like they
2: want they said how many how many um, searches for the word depression mm. by state? Oh, and God, now depression can mean a lot of things. Yeah. But they say overall, correcting for errors, mm. you could figure out which state are the most depressed that way. Yeah. That's the power of big data.
0: That is some valuable information, yeah. right? Yeah. At what cost? And are we willing to privacy? Pay it and yeah, privacy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you know, how does that hurt you? How does that hurt anybody?
0: I think it only hurts in the sense that like. Cause people
2: the, think people are so arrogant. They think they have your data and now they're looking in on your life and doing what they're not. Yeah. They're looking at a billion clicks Yeah. and you are one of the billion clicks. You're they're not looking at you. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, this could be another thing that <laughs> 10 years later I could say those bastards, you know, <laughs> but
0: I, I don't know. I think the only bad thing is like Facebook, it's all intellectual property. So they have every right to, every legal right to to hide it or preserve it and not share all this knowledge with psychologists. And I I think that was this guy's point. He was saying they want like, to sell it. Yeah, he's like, what a shame that we don't have access to all this knowledge. They want to sell it if it's even for sale. Or you know, I think we just don't have access. I
2: think it is for sale. Yeah, and it's very expensive. But it, I believe it is for sale because guess what? How. Who's, how rich is, is Zuckerberg? $100 billion, right? Mm-hmm. How did he get his money? Facebook. Mm-hmm. How does Facebook make money? It's free. So ads, but from what I understand, the selling of information yeah. is huge. So it is for sale, but the problem is who can afford it? Can a university doing a study afford it? Mm-hmm. Or can a company selling you barbecues or, or Viagra?
0: Yeah. Because they're the first ones to pull out the they checkbook. can afford it.
2: Yeah, the, the Viagra sellers can afford it.
0: Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, cool. Well, thanks you for you doing any more this
2: questions one. about this record. Do we have, do we go over it?
0: Oh, we got it. We got it. I'm so glad we did this. Me Two too. Two hours and 39 minutes. Holy shit! I hope I didn't take too much of your time. Nah, I've got. I just someone, saw the clock and I'm like, oh man, this I got guy's got stuff in to, in to do.
2: Uh, he's coming in at, in an hour. They're coming in. Oh okay. Uh, Adele. Who used to be in a band called the Contortions? Mm. Who I loved. The, the Contortions were an amazing no wave band. Uh, James Chancellor Contortions, and, and she was their keyboard player. And I used to hear her keyboard playing when I was in the Screamers, going, "That's some badass, cool keyboard playing." I'm going to steal that, <laughs> and I have stolen it over the years. Uh, and she contacted me years later. I was like, "Oh my god, you're Adele," and we did a, a tribute to Roxy Music. Whoa! Right Ow. at the corner where I got to be Eno, sort of. Uh. Uh-huh. And um, and uh, so she's coming. What are we doing? We're doing a cover of something. I forget what. Just one song. So it should, it should be pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. There's always I got Josie tomorrow. Josie Cotton tomorrow at noon. Mm-hmm. I got Tombstones in Their Eyes tomorrow at five. It's uh, it went for years on end where I was doing a band at noon, and the band leaves at midnight at ten, or two bands done at 10, two hour break. And then I'm working from midnight till two years on end years. That's why I've got so many bands I produce <laughs> years on end. And then it just, you know, I like, said I'm going to chill out a little bit. I'm finishing Josie's album. I'm not going to book quite as much. And then somebody went out of town and somebody canceled two weekends. And I was like just sitting around for like a month. Mm. Never happened. But <laughs> it's about to start. I was like, I'm going to kill a little slow. I've got a show with Kira. That was hard work. Mm. Did you see that? I did a performance with Kira. No, I produced a Kira album uh-huh. that we released and I did a performance and, and her music is difficult. It was an amazing show. And um, and uh, people loved it. And but I just I'm not going to do anything for that week because this music is so hard. <laughs> and um, so I and then the, my records coming out. I'm going to go a little bit slow there. I'm going to have some interest to do, but it's over. And now until December. You do need to rest, right? <laughs> uh, but I'm not good at resting. I'm right. just as tired with the time off, to be honest. Right. Do you feel
0: guilty? No. Or do you just feel I bored? Don't,
2: well, I feel maybe guilty. I, don't, <laughs> I feel like I had that time off. I could have recorded a new album. But no, I don't. I feel. Um, uh, I need to. I need to probably stop going to bed at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> I probably need to stop not eating all day and eating pasta at ten at night. There's some stuff, behavior stuff, that I should probably do because I still act. I still act as if I am twenty years old and on meth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because didn't you hit the? Did you say
0: you hit the gym the next morning? Uh, or was that today? No, that oh. was today. Oh.
2: I had it today. I'm starting because I made friends with the guy, and he's like charging me nothing basically. They gave me a membership. This is a wow. fancy high-end fucking gym. This yeah, is, that place does not This achieve. is the uh, Undefeated Gym. Do you know what Undefeated is? They're a gear company. uh uh-uh. And they are top of the line, but they're our friends, and they're so good. to And I let them park in our lot and stuff. I'm like, you know, so they're like, you got a membership, and, and I'm going to train you. I'm like, damn. And, and he told me today, and I'm like, I feel like I'm going to die. And he's <laughs> like... Um, so when, how do you eat and goes over my eating like I, he's like that's all wrong mm, pasta 11 like, 30 that's all wrong <laughs> and then he's like and uh you know i know like they you're an artist and everything but you know the three thirty in the morning thing like generally we kind of like our sink our bio our biology up to the sun <laughs> it's like, i can't even imagine that but
0: there are like certain truths you just can't get around right
2: yeah, I can't do it anymore. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna try to. This is like I didn't want to talk about this because, dude, i like at my age, all of my friends in my age, all they fucking talk about is their health. <laughs> and they have this surgery and this operation and this and this. I am just tired, and I, but this is I think legit for anybody. I'm, I'm gonna, I have to change some fucking basic behaviors. Mm-hmm. Like I've done it before. I, I stopped doing all drugs and alcohol. You know, I reached a point where this is not helping. Yeah not helping. It was helping for a (laughs) while, helped a lot, Yeah. but at some point it's not helping. It's doing more damage than good. And I I stopped, I was able to do it. And, um, so now I'm actually going to somehow, maybe to to treat my body better. We'll see.
0: Well, good. It's a whole process. I mean, I'm in the, I'm, I'm in my thirties, so it's, when you say people your age are talking about health, same with mine. It's but it's all recovering from our 20s. It first hit me at 35 like,
2: at 35. I was like, I cannot come home from work and then go to band practice. Yeah, I feel like tired. I'm 33. I work in a restaurant. You're starting to get a glimmer of it. Yeah. My f- decision at that point was meth, mm. speed. Yeah, I can do both. And I yeah. prolonged that till I was 43. three. Mm-hmm. But um, I know I'd like it too don't, much. Don't do it. Yeah. I, um,
0: I've not not meth outright, but like uh, I thought about is Adderall that bad? Yeah. Right. Well, it's the same. <laughs> but it's the same thing. It's the right? same
2: thing. Yeah. I you know. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the trick. Uh, this is something I read when I was studying about drugs and alcohol rehabilitation. It's like whatever drug does for you mm-hmm. afterwards, it takes that away. Mm. So if you used to use it to calm you down like heroin, yeah. you're probably going to feel a lot of anxiety. Yeah. And if you used to use drugs to get you up, then you'll feel a lot of fatigue and anxiety. So, I mean, it, it, it actually you pay the price. Yeah.
0: Even just coffee does that for me. If I have one cup too many, I'm tired and my day's shot.
2: Oh, well, you're sensitive. I'm kind of sensitive.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, cuz I never really did drugs, you know. Like I've smoked weed, you know. I still smoke weed, but like yeah. uppers, never. So coffee, the fact that I can drink so much of it and it's a have it turn on me. Yeah. But like, you know, it's not Adderall, it's not meth. It's but it's it's
2: still it's still there, you know. It's still something. I mean, I was drink I had a client that was working for Red Bull and he would bring me cases. Oh <laughs> and I was like I drink it like Filled with this incredible sense of well being. Mm. Not like coffee, though. It felt different. Uh. And I was like, what is that? Uh-huh. And I looked on it, and it's 400% of your vitamin B. Uh. It's a vitamin rush. Wow. That yeah. can't be bad, right? No, it's yeah. great. <laughs> no, it's got caffeine, it's yeah. got sugar, it's got
1: chlorine,
2: which is amino acids, which is also good. But and, and not all the energy drinks have that. Yeah. So I'm kind of like a, telling people, if you're like a drug addict, you're trying not to do drugs. You know, and everybody, of course, you know, people, it's so amazing. This is great. Red Bull comes out. And all of a sudden, you hear about people at raves are overdosing on Red Bull and dying. Oh, yeah. wonder where that <laughs> came from. I wonder if Coca-Cola saw their market share shrinking yeah. because that is not real. No one's going to their tent anymore. What the hell? You heck? know, all right, come on. So I always kind of go, like, if you're trying to quit drugs, Red Bull is not going to kill you and it's mm. not a drug. And it's actually... There's a vitamin B thing. And, you know, it's not, again, not ideal, like Mm. detente. (laughs) Not the best of all possible universes. However, we, you know. While we're here. Perfection is the enemy of the good. (laughs) Right?
0: I like that. Well, thanks for doing this, man. man. That
2: was a joy. Uh, You're a good interviewer.
0: Oh, thank you. You're a great guest. (laughs) Want to plug it one more time? The album?
2: Oh, the album. Yeah. I hope uh, everybody will um, give it a chance. It was recorded late at night and it probably should be listened to late at night. It's not necessarily music that you're going to play at your party. Maybe. Might be a good party. Let me know. I'm curious.
0: <laughs> I'll let you know. I will relay that information yeah. cuz you say it's funny you say that. I've been listening to it every morning. Every morning. And it is it's a great wake up album.
2: That's amazing.
0: Yeah, every it's every song was the brightness of first from first opening your eyes in the morning.
2: Wow, man. So
0: recording in the middle of the night that's that's interesting it
2: means a lot to me that you gave it a chance and that you know because a lot of people are like this is not punk rock (laughs) 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 another another slow one (laughs) too many slow songs
0: oh i had to see what you were doing yeah
2: yeah i appreciate it yeah so thanks again sure man